Are you ready to rewind? Take a nostalgia-filled ride back to a simpler time. It's Acid Wash Memories, a retro pop culture celebration. And now your hosts, Joe Morata and Michael Quinn. Well, it's Christmas time again. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 51 of Acid Wash Memories, a retro pop culture celebration. And today we're talking all about the legacy of Home Alone. Happy holidays, everybody. I am Joe Murata alongside Santa Quinn. How you doing there, Michael? Ho, ho, ho. Howdy, ho, ho. howdy doody. Howdy doody to you. Folks, thank you so much for being with us here one day early than normal here. We wanted to give you time to listen to this one. Uh, if you celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas. And if you don't, happy holidays. We hope you're doing well. Yep. One way or another, we are a retro pop culture celebration. And if you haven't been with us before, we do have 50 other episodes available where, Michael Quinn? In the archives. In the archives. So you can find something you like there. And uh, whether you're a first-timer or a long-timer, we would encourage you to follow us on Twitter at AWM Podcast and also join our friendly Facebook group. It's great, Clint, because no one, everyone's nice to each other there. Yeah, it's 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 home crap home. It's and home it's, crap we talk home. about the old crap, and it's, it's lovely. Home crap alone, maybe, yeah, if you yeah. will. Shut up. But today, folks, we are talking about Home Alone. So many kids of our generation love this movie, they right? Do. We're all getting older, and I think maybe that's adding to the sentimentality and the nostalgia mm-hmm. of it. But I got to tell you, ever since I was a kid, I mean, I watched this shortly after it came out in 1990, I've loved this movie. I watch it every year. It's one of my favorite Christmas movies. What about you, Michael? When I first was growing up, I didn't think of it as a Christmas movie. I thought of it as just like a kid movie. I think I did right? too. And then slowly it became a Christmas movie because it also was a Christmas movie. I think you're right about that. Yeah. What's your point? And folks, we're going to want to hear your thoughts on this again on Twitter and on our Facebook group. But it's been over the past, you know, 30 something years that it became more of a, a holiday tradition, you know, more recent time, maybe the last 20. Yeah. And it did receive lukewarm reviews on its debut. Ultra popular at the box office. That's I mean, the thing. it was like a huge thing. Critics aside, in 1990 when it came out, it was a blockbuster and an unexpected one, a sleeper right. hit. It really was. It's warm, it's touching, it's zany, it's implausible, but it's come into the public conscience as a modern Christmas classic. Uh, so today, we're going to discuss how it happened. And we'll try to put our finger on why this silly but amazing movie has resonated with so many, mm-hmm. right? And I just want to uh, say something here. This is not a full-length review of the movie. No. Uh, we're going to get into some of the makings of it. We will, of course, run through the plot. It's also a franchise, so we have other yeah, things to talk about. We have about. a few other things to talk about. This is more of a general reflection on Home Alone. Maybe some of you are listening to this with your significant other or your family while you're driving, and for that, just turn it off. Don't, yeah. don't be doing that. You don't need to. If, if this is your podcast and your family's hearing it for don't, the first time, don't subject this is, them this to is, You don't want to <laughs> go into the nitty-gritty of no, Home Alone. No. Uh, listen to the pizza episode, yeah. maybe. A lovely cheese pizza just for me. Anyway, Quinn, what is a burglar? Oh, a burglar. It's a person that um, breaks into a house or maybe another location, like a company or... A building of some kind? A building of some kind, yeah. But usually they use means to get in because obviously there's locked doors and windows and stuff. Right. So they have to, you know, you got your cat burglars who maybe go through the ceiling <laughs> yeah. instead. Yeah, right, like, right. Or like you got your, you guys that like just kind of break the locks, like the brute force it. Oh, they Maybe they break the windows instead. Yeah. Like there's all sorts of ways. Why so, are they doing this? Well, they want stuff. They're, maybe they're looking for a safe full of money. Maybe they're looking for jewelry. Toys. Uh, toys. Stereos. VCRs. Toys. 
I mean, anything of value. Okay. They're trying to get it and leave. Oh, I got it. And then they leave. Yeah. They don't stay there. Usually those are the two most important parts of being a burglar is getting in and getting out. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're here to educate, obviously. So now that we've established what a burglar is, let's talk about Home Alone. How did we get there? Well, we have to start with the man responsible for the movie who wrote it and who produced it. And that would be one of the most renowned directors of his generation in terms mm-hmm. of resonating with teens and the culture in general, John Hughes. Yeah. Now, John Hughes, I feel, is more of a... He's like a mainstream style director. He isn't like an artsy fartsy, like super high end. Like there's even better versions of him in the mainstream, like a James Cameron, for example. Oh, yeah. You you know, like even more high end. But like John Hughes held this special spot where he was really good at family style movies, teen movies, stuff that was not. You know, your bottom basement straight to DVD stuff. Right. But stuff that was a little higher end, like a real film, but it could really resonate with all ages. Yeah. And that's a great way to put it, Quinn. And as a writer, he trode a very, very good line between realistic dialogue and just zaniness, Mm -hmm. you know, just farce. He was really good at tying those two things together. Uh, He had been a, a writer and a contributor for the National Lampoon magazine, which he parlayed into his first movie credit as a writer, which was National Lampoon's Class Reunion in 1982. National Lampoon's Class Reunion. No class has less class than this class. National Lampoon's, while it was dirty at the time, it was also like pushing boundaries. So the people writing for it, they all went on to have oh, yeah. great, like Egon from Ghostbusters, Ramis. Yeah, right? Harold Ramis. Harold right? Ramis and, and all sorts of like people mm-hmm. that were like associated with it or wrote for it or whatever. Everyone wanted to hire these people. 100%. Right? Yeah. And, and uh, Animal House had been a big success. So they were looking to build on that in the film realm. And the first one to really do so, written by John Hughes, was... National Lampoon's Vacation of 1983, a, right. a classic John Hughes-style movie. Absolutely. It's farce, right? It's, it's zany. Stu- it's stupid. And what's weird about um, the original Vacation, as opposed to like the later ones, I feel like it has a lot more like heart. It's more in the Home Alone vein than it is Animal House or something. Right. Oh, 100%. You, you know what I mean? Pardon me. Uh, I wonder if you could tell me how to get back on the expressway. Hey, fuck your mama. Thank you very much. It's very John Hughes. It's like prototypical John Hughes. Right, yeah. You have these characters that are kind of assholes on the surface. Yeah. But they do have a kernel of sensitivity. You and, know? and like by the end of the movie, when they get to Wally World and it's closed, you're kind of like, yeah, do something about it. Right. Like, this is bullshit. <laughs> right. Like, right? Like you feel for them. He went on then to do 16 Candles in 84, which was also his directorial debut. This was the breakout for Molly Ringwald. I can't believe this. They fucking forgot my birthday. Followed up by The Breakfast Club, another classic in 85. The Breakfast Club is a movie that I watch every couple of years. Same. Yeah? Good. It breezes by. It really just holds up. He's great at that. Yeah. These, ti- these timeless but of their time classics, yeah. right? Lo- I do mean like as a compliment that they breeze by because, you know, sometimes with old movies, you've seen them so much. Get a couple minutes in and you get your little laughs and you're like, ah, well, okay, I'll move on. I've seen (laughs) this already, right? But like his movies just kind of grab you from beginning to end where you're like, you could turn it off, but you kind of just like, eh, whatever. I'm going to keep watching, right? Yeah, I'm going to keep watching. Well, Brian, this is a very nutritious lunch. All the food groups are represented. Did your mom marry Mr. Rogers? Uh, No, Mr. Johnson. Huh. 
He also did a weird science, another Anthony Michael Hall uh, performance, you know, yeah, weird along with science, the Breakfast Club. It's weird. Um, yeah, it is weird. It's about science, but um, <laughs> maybe it's the way it was distributed or whatever, but it just never- It's held, not as big. It never held the same like, wow, I really want to go watch weird science again. No, right? I, I, I'm with you. It's, it's more, good. It's on the zany, like super zany yeah. side. Like it's a little too much zane. It's a screwball. A yeah. lot of, very much zane. Women everywhere. All these girls, they're all there. Naked bodies Gary. everywhere. They all know Gary. Name. What? Nobody likes us. 1986's Ferris Bueller's Day Off is another yeah. one of his classics. Yeah, that's the exact opposite of Weird Side. Yeah. That's another God, that's instantly rewatchable movie. Yep. All the way through from beginning to end, it, do, it just never lets go. There's always like stuff happening. Well, I think you should be sorry for Christ's sake. A family member dies. And you insult me. What the hell is the matter with you anyway? A lot of these John Hughes films, there's a few more to cover, have a, a few things in common. Typically a very strong protagonist, mm-hmm. sometimes breaking the fourth wall in, in the case specifically of Ferris Bueller. But they also are generally filmed in Chicagoland. Yes. And employ a lot of rich detail in terms of the cinematography, the set design. A lot of detail now, goes into that. most outside of Ferris Bueller, which is pretty overtly Chicago because they go to a Cubs game. Yeah. Most of them like do kind of sort of not really mention that it's like that it's supposed to be like every town sure. USA or something sure. prototypical Pic- American picturesque yeah they're, they're, that that's the one thing is like there's suburbs in the Chicagoland area you could look at suburbs in New Jersey or outside yeah. the California cities and they're yep. all like very you know cookie cutter yeah. like they look trees very, and houses basically. yeah trees and houses <laughs> right uh, he went on to do Pretty in Pink in 86 another Molly Ringwald mm-hmm. joint how'd you get in here are you mad? Yes, I'm mad. There are public bathrooms all over the place. I'm not nine, Andy. I know that. It's the, it's the end of the month. They're out of toilet seat covers. And then his first non-teen one in quite some time, I guess since vacation, really, which was a bit of a surprise hit for him as well because it starred two comedians that also mixed in some great dramatic acting would be 1987's Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Yes. You're not a very tolerant person. You've been under my skin since New York, starting with ripping off my cab. God, you're a tight ass. How'd you like a mouthful of teeth? Oh, and hostile, too. Nice personality combination, hostile and intolerant. That's borderline criminal. Screw you. It has a John Hughes feel to it. Oh, of course. Even down to, hey, we got to get back to the Chicagoland area. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, always Chicagoland. Like, it is just, you watch that movie for a couple minutes, you're like, Oh, this is a John Hughes movie. Yep. Plus, John Candy's in it. He's always like in, in his, vacation. Yeah, he's always like in his movies in some form or fashion. Uh, Great Outdoors in '88 being yeah. the next one that he yeah. did, and then probably the movie that made possible Home Alone, mm-hmm. which is why we're getting to all this and we're establishing who John Hughes is and what he does. For those of you that don't know, in 1989, a fantastic, almost under the radar John Candy film was mm-hmm. released called Uncle Buck. So Uncle Buck, why is it relevant, right? Well, first of all, John Candy, he's in... The lovable John Candy. Here's the thing, is being John Candy having an involvement in it wouldn't actually do it, right? Because all John Hughes have John Candy. So that's not really like... But there's a child in this movie. Yes. um, He's a little kid. There's an actor by the name of Macaulay Culkin. (laughs) That is the reason for Home Alone. There's a scene specifically in Uncle Buck 
where Macaulay Culkin is talking to somebody through the uh, the mail slot of a door. Mm-hmm. And I think, from what I remember, that is where the light bulb went off in John Hughes' head. Like, wouldn't it be funny to have a movie about a kid that's home alone and he's trying to yeah, and protect we'll the have, house? And we already have the kid to do it. Yep. I will just invite him over for this <laughs> next <laughs> right one. for this next one. Hi! Uh, I'm Shanice Kowalowski. I'm Uncle Buck's friend. May I see your driver's license, ma'am? So that is where the uh, the idea, the impetus came from. John Hughes would go on to do some less acclaimed movies, but still remember like the Dennis the Menace one from 93 well, with uh, I feel Walter like Matthau. I think the Dennis the Menace one had... I hate that movie. By the time we hit the 90s with John Hughes... Christopher had, Lloyd with the beans. Yeah, by the time we hit this... <laughs> era joe is that he has like a prestige and all his movies are like omega blockbuster yeah. bullshit where it's like there's like beethoven is him yeah there's like movie tie-ins with flubber I remember, is him yeah i remember like the literally like the theaters being like <laughs> decorated special for like it was like what it was the hell? a big deal for like him. it was like what okay this is like it, it, it's like now it's exploding outside the theater door like I, the john hughes yeah. it's like this is a little much i don't care for many of those five flubbers yeah. kind of a, a I didn't think Dennis the Menace was that bad. I hate that movie. It, it actually of the like the weird, beans of the weird John Hughes movies. Yes. Like that's a, actually one of the better ones. You like think? yeah, because Flubber sucks. You don't like Flubber? I didn't like it. Did you like Baby's Day Out? No, me neither. What about Beethoven? The first Beethoven. Beethoven's pretty like it's heartfelt. Decent, right? That's, it's, that's it's a family in, movie. The problem is the sequels like diluted yeah. the shit out of it. Yeah. But it was like the first one's like fine. Yeah, right? There's nothing wrong with it. And it does fit the John Hughes style of the dog should not be like the most significant thing in your family. (laughs) But like for some reason, it's like to people, the dog sometimes is like such an important integral part. It makes sense that like the dog is just such a jerk, basically the whole movie. (laughs) And like everyone just kind of deals with him. They just deal with him. Yeah. So that's John Hughes and that's some of his movies. But Home Alone needs a director as well, right? Because John Hughes wrote it and he produced it. He did not direct it. He asked Chris Columbus, no relation to the Explorer. Uh, funny guy over here. Hey, everyone, look at the funny guy. Oh, you don't see him? Yeah, exactly. Asshole. He had been a writer for Gremlins. He did the screenplay for Goonies. These are okay. two great movies. Right. And he, Gremlins, you know, funny enough, the reason I'm bringing this up is because yeah. Gremlins is actually a Christmas movie, too. It is. So it kind of, eh, it's kind of the right guy to get involved, he right? He loved Christmas. Yeah. Christmas Columbus, I yeah, think is his full name. Yeah, they should have named him that instead. <laughs> his directorial debut was Adventures in Babysitting in 87, which I've never seen. I've heard of. I love that movie. It's great. I never saw it. Is yeah. it good? It it's is? great. It's, it, actually, you would like it. It's really? your kind of, it's, it's another screwball, like, it starts like it's a regular babysitting gig. All of a sudden, they have to leave the house, and there's like jumping on roofs, and like it, it gets like absolutely like Home Alone esque wild by the end of it. It's like Three's Company, yeah, that style. It's of just farce. like it's like a comedy of errors leading to more extreme sure. shit going huh. on as the movie happens. It's you would. I'm surprised you haven't seen. You I've would never seen. Love it. that movie. Okay, I'll have to note that. Yeah, Chris Columbus would go on to direct after Home Alone, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. Another fantastic, very, yeah, big '90s movie. He was the director and writer for nine months uh, with Hugh Grant. Remember that? Yeah. It was a big yeah. fucking deal I when that came I out. Care. I didn't either. And you might know him from these films. Some of you. He was the director for Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Oh and, wow, he got that gig, huh? That's and, that's huge. And Chamber of Secrets. Yeah. And of course, he directed Christmas with the Cranks. <laughs> Nobody liked that. No. That was like Christmas with the Cranks was like an attempt to make a John Hughes movie in like the 2000s and like yes, nobody cared. Nobody cared. Hey, I like Christmas with the Quanks, but I don't like you. Ha ha. 
John Hughes originally asked him to direct a different Christmas movie, Christmas Vacation. Right. In 1989, right? And he got into a tizzy and walked off the project because of a conflict with Chevy Chase. Of course. Hallelujah, holy shit. (laughs) To paraphrase you on something else, Chevy Chase seems like somebody you'd get into an incident with, doesn't he? He absolutely does. (laughs) Right. He seems like a problem and there's like a reason he was like kind of pushed out of Hollywood by the 90s. Like people were like, okay, like this, we can make shit without, he's not even that important. But he isn't. He isn't, he he, isn't. he, he, He tried to like insert himself as like well I'm the vacation guy so like I'm known right? we're like just shut up anymore it's like anybody could have done that Wait, by the way if you want to hear more on our takes of Chevy Chase we do have the Chevy Chase show uh, episode available the, in the archives the, the, so the Chevy Chase show is a perfect illustration yeah. of why Chevy Chase was not as important as he thought he was exactly and Chris Columbus didn't want to deal with him yeah so John Hughes was like well I got this other movie I'm, I'm making now it's called Home Alone. It's about a kid that gets left behind, but it takes place during Christmas. And Chris Columbus right. says, you know what? I love Christmas. Let's I'll do, do it. it. I do want to mention one more thing. Uh, for those of you that have uh, Netflix, you ever hear of Netflix? Yeah, Netflix. There was, uh, several years ago, a great episode of a little series they did called The Movies That Made Us. I remember those, yeah. And Home Alone happened to be one. What I'm trying to do here is not completely just regurgitate all of the information in that, but at the same time, there are crucial things we need to hit. But for a more comprehensive look at how the movie was made, you can watch that. Right. Is that a fair thing to say? Just watch that. Another thing you need when you make a movie is you need a score, mm-hmm. right? And I'm not talking about like a baseball score because no, that'd be silly. That would right? be dumb. That, <laughs> that for a movie, uh, so it's two to one. <laughs> <laughs> well, there were very low odds of scoring this guy, but they did. They got John Williams. Yeah. Now, so if you don't know who that is, who Star Wars? I Star mean, is Wars. his most notable. Yes, but also Jaws. Yeah, Jaws. Superman. The Indiana Jones movies. Mm-hmm. E. T. The first three Harry Potter films. Right. John Williams is one of the, like, epic orchestra people of our times. Yes, a like, modern composer. Yeah, he truly is. And he's got great, memorable music. That really He knows how to weave it in and out and fit the scene and the tone. Fantastic. Uh-huh. So we need a cast. We mentioned Macaulay Culkin, who was born in 1980. It so, seemed like the movie was made for him specifically. Like, they knew... Like you said, based on the Uncle yeah. Buck scene, it's like, we know Macaulay Culkin's got to be in it, right? Like, that, he's got to be the kid. That's the whole point. Yep. And the thing is, that was the point. That was the idea. Right. John Hughes wrote the role of Kevin McAllister, the youngest of the McCall- McAllister children, with him in mind. However, Chris Columbus felt it was his directorial duty. And he still auditioned like a hundred or two hundred well, other just gotta, kids like, just to be safe. I feel like that's just covering your bases in yes. case like there's some like magical better person that like nobody ever heard of. Exactly. Right. But it was Macaulay Culkin uh, cast as Kevin McAllister. And as we mentioned, his breakthrough role was Uncle Buck. He had started acting, I think as a four-year-old in the mid 80s. Mm-hmm. So this was going to be a big deal for him. So his family, let's get into the McAllister nuclear <laughs> family here. They're okay? all very interesting. They are. His mom is Kate McAllister, who is played by a Canadian actress named Catherine O'Hara, who mm-hmm. was a Second City TV alum from 76 to 84. Tip. That's a really stupid name. Do you mind if I call you Tiptoe Nail? Tiptoe Nail. No, you can call me whatever you want. What the hell does that have to do with what I've been saying? I don't know. Catherine O'Hara is like she's one of the best. She like, is very funny. To me, this is one of those 
wow, they actually got Catherine O'Hara for this. this. She seems like a big get for this movie. Yeah, because the other th- she was in Beetlejuice in 88, just two years before. Right, and so she was, like, known. She was known, exactly. Not to mention just her chops, like, acting chops as far as Second City yeah. and stuff like that. So even if she wasn't, like, uber famous. Which she wasn't. She was good at what she did. She was good at what she did, and she went on and do Shit's Creek. Obviously, Shit's Creek. She's yeah. She's incredible. To me, that's what that's like the lifetime achievement award of Catherine O'Hara is like. You see the wide breadth of what she can do. She's yep. ridiculously funny in that. She is. Uh, she was also in Wyatt Earp, your favorite movie. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so she's going to be Kate McAllister, Kevin's mom. Peter McAllister, the dad, is played by a veteran actor who had acted for a long time named John Hurd. And he. I mainly know him from like The Sopranos later on, yeah, the like, he was like dirty a, cop or whatever. He became a character actor. Her, the good doctor, she's in her office at 8 a.m., she leaves at 6. She orders up a tuna sub and a Diet Coke. She's got a three bedroom condo in uh, Essex Fell, shops at Pathmark. She's divorced, one kid, 19. Outside of Schmucko, she don't get out much. He didn't have a huge career, and he even admitted, he passed away in 2017, but he admitted in interviews, like, he's like, I could have done more, I just blew it, basically. But he had been in theater and in film, he's a trained actor. What's interesting about him is, again, a later work like The Sopranos, you can see how good he actually was, and not just the dad in this movie. Absolutely. Like, it's like... He's a crazy, like he's like a depressed, sad character in that show, and yep. it's like very interesting. He's he's just good. He's a good actor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the rest of his family would be uh, his oldest brother Buzz, who's uh, <laughs> the Biff Tannen of this film. <laughs> Buzz is your quintessential bully-looking kid. Yep, with a spikyish like, hair. And also, that you kind of know will never make it outside of this movie. <laughs> like he just did not have the gravitas of like. <laughs> Wow, we really need that guy who played Buzz in our movie, right? <laughs> and he didn't. He really didn't do anything yeah. else. He's, he's Buzz, Devin yeah. Rattray. Beat that, you little trout sniffer. Jeff, the second oldest brother, he was played by Michael Marana, also known, of course, as Big Pete. Yes, this was freaking awesome to me because I I remember watching that movie years after I saw Pete and yep. Pete. Wait a sec. That's Big Pete. Big Pete was known. Yeah, Big like, Pete was Like in the 90s, oh, people were kid? like... Yeah, we know who Big Pete is, and he might go out with Ellen. We're not sure. We don't know yet. Yeah. Megan, his older sister, was Hillary Wolf, who would go on to uh, be in the trailer for Step Kids. Yeah. And and star. Very notable trailer, by the way, because it was included in Turtles 2 on VHS. But the the name of it was released a year after it was called. (laughs) The movie uh, No One Thought came out. Because they renamed it Big Girls Don't Cry, They Get Even, which is a horrible film title. Yeah. And I watch it, and it sucks. Like, you would think it'd be amazing from the trailer. Actually, like, here's the thing is the trailer for that movie is awesome like it's Mm -hmm. one of those trailers where you're like this looks like a very interesting like family movie right it's like this looks like a thing i want to watch and then it just never appeared oh people thought it didn't i I, I didn't find out until like the late 2000s that it even came out and i got (laughs) the dvd of it and i watched it was like this is very disappointing my dad's almost 40 looks like he's 30 thinks like he's 20 and acts like he's 10 he's fun to play board games with she was also um you probably all expect this, a judo Olympian in 96 and 2000 Olympics. Oh, yeah, I totally... You knew that, right? <laughs> no, well, that actually, you know what's kind of funny about that, if you think about it? That totally explains why she left acting if she was in the Olympics. Yeah, like, she was in twice. Like, why the hell do you need to act <laughs> if you're in the Olympics? Exactly, doing the judo. And then his other sister, uh, Linny, played by Angela Gothels, uh, who didn't really go on to do much in the way of major roles, just mm-hmm. character actress. Wait, wait. 
Back to Lenny for yeah, a second. Yeah, go, we'll go to Lenny. Is Lenny the girl with the glasses that's hanging out with the other kid with the glasses? No, that's Fuller's sister. Okay. Lenny is Les Incompetents. Oh, Les Incompetents. Yeah, that's like, Lenny. Like, that's all you had to say about Lenny. <laughs> like, it, nobody knows her as anything else. That's true. You're what the French call Les Incompetents. Uncle Frank was cast for Kelsey Grammer, but they couldn't get him. Honestly, I could see it. The hair. Yeah, the hair. It's very, that's him. Uh, so he was played by an actor named Jerry Bamman, who is probably best known for playing Uncle Frank in Home yeah. Alone. Uh, and then we. <laughs> he's just, he just comes off as a piece of shit. Like the he's whole an mo- ass. Yeah. He's totally, I forgot my reading glasses. Like yeah. he's just a jerk. It makes you feel any better. I forgot my reading glasses. But we have to get to the antagonists. So we got two bad guys, two burglars, which Quinn helpfully defined for us earlier, mm-hmm. a burglar. We have Harry Lime. They never say their last names in the movie, but I'm just being completionist right. here. Harry is played by Joe Pesci. You know, By the way, what a get. What that, a get. That's another one. It's like Joe Pesci in it. Like, what the hell? You know who Joe Pesci is, yeah. right? We don't really need to. Like, Goodfellas had just come out or would just you, got made. Would you say Joe Pesci is the biggest name in this movie at the time yes. it was made? I think so. Didn't Goodfellas come out that year? Yeah. It was, he had just made it and it was like, it came out a few months before Home Alone did. So wow. Was, that was a huge like bit of serendipity. Because I remember I mean? like in the, in the promotional stuff that it was like Macaulay Culkin, Joe Pesci, yeah. Home Alone. Right? Like that's pretty much what those were the names they like highlighted. And I think they used John Candy also, even though he's not in it for too much. I yeah. think they use his name because it's Because it's like, oh, look, there's like big actors in this. Yeah. Right. And that's a big get, Joe Pesci. And his uh, partner, Marv Merchants, which again is never said, but Marv. There's very, there, there's the one notable thing about Marv that everyone knows that he's Kevin Arnold's yep. voice. When you're a little kid, you're a little bit of everything. Artist, scientist, athlete, scholar. Sometimes it seems like growing up is a process of giving those things up one by one. That's Daniel Stern. Yeah. Uh, And that was what he was doing. He was the voice of adult Kevin and the Wonder Years in the midst of that gig. He had been in a movie in 1983, I believe it was, called Diner, maybe 82, with Steve Gutenberg. Diner's a great movie. Kevin Bacon. Yeah, Yeah, it is. It's a very good movie. Uh, He would go on to do City Slickers, you know, Mm -hmm. and Celtic Pride. But Celtic Pride, I guess it was. He was really popular for City Slickers. City Slickers, like, was a big deal for Daniel Stern. He wrote it on the back of this, you know. He was cast as Marv, but a little tidbit here is he wanted more money than they were offering because of the schedule. So they said, well, we we can't pay you. So they recast Marv for another Dan, Dan Roebuck. No relation to Sears Roebuck. Knock it off. He was uh, in a movie called The River's Edge. You probably heard of that one. And later it was uh, one of the U.S. Marshals in The Fugitive Really? And the movie U.S. Marshals. He was in Final Destination later, various TV shows, but most famously, in my opinion, for playing Jay Leno in The Late Shift. <laughs> to you. <laughs> to me. Now, there's a survey said that you're safer, and now this is true, you're safer on an airplane than you are in your own bathroom. You believe that? I mean, do you, do you think that's true? I don't know. You know, I've never slipped on the toilet seat and fallen 35,000 feet. <laughs> anyway, after a few days with Joe Pesci, and Dan Roebuck, they realized the chemistry wasn't right. Yeah. And they're like, you know what? Let's just fucking pay Daniel Stern what he's asking for. I'm sure that the little extra bucks they went through in for Daniel Stern, it probably, at the end of the day, they've made way more than they even knew oh, what to do I with. Oh, I think so. Right? Yeah. They Too bad they didn't have to spend any Robux. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Robux. 
<laughs> and then there's a neighbor figure known as Marley or Old Man Marley. He is played by a veteran character actor known as Roberts Blossom. He turns the bodies into mummies. <laughs> <laughs> You're always welcome in church. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Christine, Flashpoint, a lot of horror stuff. Uh, and his last film role was 95's The Quick and the Dead, you know, that Western kind of micro parody yeah. of a Western. Wait a second. You said he was Kidman. in Christine. Are you talking about yeah. Christine from like the 40s no, with, with Greta, Greta no, Garbo as no, like the, the queen of the, the Dutch the or whatever? No, 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 no. Well, this, he was so the fucking Stephen old. King adaptation. Okay, sorry. No, he was not, just so damn old that I was like, well, that might be possible. Like, <laughs> that is not the one I meant. I'm glad you clarified that yeah. actually. No, no, no. Uh, I think it's called Christine. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but it's okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to, we'll have to check in the research. Christina possibly. Must see, maybe. Yeah. Well, because uh, it was actually Queen uh, uh, Queen Christina with um with Greta Garbo, uh, then not uh, not Christine uh, because well because Stephen King and well he also wrote as Richard Bachman because he was listening to uh, Bachman Turner Overdrive uh, uh, band. Warner Brothers was originally the financiers for this project. But once it went over budget, so this is why this matters, there was this whole thing and they had to shut the production down again and get more details in the Netflix thing. But basically they had clandestine meetings with 20th Century Fox and they just shifted everything over to Fox. <laughs> and that was it. You know, it was now a 20th Century Fox. Warner Brothers was kicking themselves for being cheapskates because yep. it's like, man, this is a, it's a hit and it's a franchise. It's like they could have had it. You know what John Hughes said to uh, Warner Brothers? Keep the change of filthy animal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's talk about the filming. It was filmed... In 1990, there's no like remnant of it was all in 90, February to May. That's it. And it makes sense based on its release, right? Like they had the whole year to make it. Film it, edit it, et cetera. Score it. It was filmed mainly in Winnecta, Illinois, which is um, a village, I guess it's it's called. Those of you in Chicago know better than I do. It looks beautiful from what I've ever looked up because I have a little bit of a geography. I mean, the McAllister's house is like a mansion or something. Let's talk about it. It's so nice. Have to talk about the house. So. 671 Lincoln Avenue is the real address in Winnecta, and in the movie, it's 671 Lincoln Boulevard. So, in late 90s, the internet age, the early 2000s, yep. I remember a lot of comments on, like, what the hell does Mr. McAllister do? He can afford this house. Right. He can afford to fly his entire family, including his brother and his kids, yeah. like, to France to for France. Christmas. Mm-hmm. Like, what the hell is this guy? Like, is he an investment banker or something? Like, It's never made clear, but it's. I think the inference is, yeah, he's just a successful businessman of some kind, yeah. probably, right? It is a, it's a big house. You guys know it. It's one of the most iconic houses, at least of our generation in film, built in 1924. Some of you know this, and I'm just going to try to clear this up to the best of my ability. The movie was only partially filmed in the actual house. What they did is they used scenes of the foyer in particular, the ground floor where... Yeah. You'd be going in and out the door. Right. They used the real house. They wanted to film in the house. And then they realized, you know what? This house, as big as it is to live in, there's not enough room to do all the things we need to do. Well, yeah, you need lights and, and, like, equipment. And so you can't... Like, a normal house is not a good place to film a movie. Right. There's too much stuff. Right. Right? It's like... You need... Like, there's people on set that need to be off camera. You need room for the cameras, the dollies, like, all this shit, Right. So what they did is they found an empty high school gym, the New Trier High School, uh, or New Trier, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, which was also used for Uncle Buck, ah, incidentally. Okay. And they built, they re- recreated to scale as many of the rooms of the house as they needed. Just a movie style where they're like probably cut out so you can put the cameras and stuff yeah. like, so like on the outside, essentially. Right. So like that classic kitchen, it's built like next to the bleachers of the gym. That makes sense. It's just more practical. 
not everything you see is built in the actual is filmed in the actual house even mm-hmm. the foyer they completely recreated the foyer and the staircase the decor they did a seamless honestly, job honestly by movie standards this all seems like normal fare yeah. like not what an achievement it's like this is probably just typical shit yeah, yeah. that they do it's just typical stuff but they did a great job and they used the empty high school gym uh, mm-hmm. which was important because it had a swimming pool and in that scene where the Murphy's house floods they were able to just have uh, the water just, run into yeah, the they, pool that's, uh, that makes a lot of yeah. sense so I didn't want I don't want to dash anyone's dreams too much and it's not to say that nothing was filmed in the actual house it's just that I know for sure all of the upstairs are sets I think what's kind of interesting about it is what you what you're implying I don't know if this is exactly true but it sounds like they looked at the house and just replicated the room so essentially on film it looks like yeah. it was filmed in the same exact house because the rooms are exactly the same that is what i'm saying they yeah. have professionals that took measurements made the drawings and then just built the sets for it yeah, yeah that's that's a, absolutely what they did yeah. i know that they did you know how there's a back door that goes to the basement yeah they did they dug that out specifically for the film okay so that's a non-existent part of the house and then they covered well, it back they needed up. it so they could slip down exactly down the ice. there's certain modifications that they made they built the treehouse for the movie yep. that's not actually that wasn't a treehouse and you can look at this stuff up there's also the neighbors across the street used the vhs camcorder to film the outside scenes hmm. in the winter of 90 and you can find this on youtube they shared it with everyone and they like put it on the news and shit huh. so you can see from like the cross street point of view of them making the film, the outside cool. scenes. Yeah, it's really cool. Now here they're getting ready to shoot uh, a scene of the uh, plumbers driving down the road, uh, casing the neighborhood. So they've got the uh, the uh, plumber's van hooked to the uh, photography van. And the owners of the house actually lived upstairs during the filming because they were using the house. I want to be clear. They did use it. Just for certain particular certain particulars, scene. especially things right outside the house. You right. know, Harry and Marv running or, you know what I mean? All right. those things. That's actually outside the house. Anyway, that is about enough of all the making of this. Why don't we do this? Why don't we get some little Neros? And on the other side of this break, let's talk about the plot of Home Alone. Let's talk about the scenes, some of our favorite lines, the zany characters, all of that and more coming up in this very special holiday edition of Acid Wash Memories. Out of all the reindeers, you know you're the mastermind. Run, run, Rudolph. Randolph ain't too far behind. Are you here all by yourself? I'm eight years old. You think I'd be here alone? I don't think so. What would you do if your parents accidentally left you home alone? Well, how about shopping? Shading? Crowbars up. This is my house. I have to defend it. And good old-fashioned crime fighting. Home Alone, the new comedy by John Hughes, directed by Chris Columbus, rated PG. Starts Friday at theaters everywhere. Now you can be as clever as Kevin with Tiger's new Talkboy tape recorder. Stop drooling on me! Stop drooling on me! It even has speed control. Hi kids, we're home early. Hi kids, we're home early. Tiger's new Talkboy tape recorder comes with audio cassette. Oh, Dave! What's happening at Wendy's? We're making our new Big Bacon Classic. Really? I didn't know that. 
It's a whole quarter pound of fresh beef, cheese, and lots of toppings. How many? Three big strips of bacon. How many? The new Big Bacon Classic with an order of Biggie Fries and a big icy drink. You better come hungry. Who's ready for dessert? Oh, oh no, no, thank you. you. This is good. Wendy's, another thing to love about the holidays. Nobody's eating anything. I wonder why. And now we return to more acid-washed memories. Hey, welcome back to Acid Washed Memories, episode number 51, our special holiday edition here. Jomron and Michael Quinn. How you doing there, Michael? Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Hope you got your little Nero's. Yes. You know, it's important. It's, it's a real place. You have to pay for your pizza, yeah. sir. Uh, thank you guys so much for being with us here. We really do hope you're doing well. We're very thankful to have you along. Just a reminder, please, to follow us on Twitter at AWM Podcast. Join our friendly Facebook group. And if you wouldn't mind spreading a little holiday cheer and leaving us a review on your podcast app of choice, we'd really appreciate that. a nice that. Christmas gift. It really would. Uh, so if you could do that, that would be very kind of you. And one way or another, we want to hear your Home Alone memories. Do you like this movie? If you're one of the rare people that probably hates it, I'm sure there's like three of you out there. How? I don't know, but let us know why. Uh, but anyway. It's so lovely. It is. It's Here's the thing, right? Like We've talked about a lot of the background, but we didn't really talk about ourselves too much about our experience. Let's start with you. This came out November of 90. You would have been four and a half. Did you see it in the theater? Or I very specifically think that this was definitely one of the first movies I saw in the theaters. The timing and the fact that I remember as a kid when the video came out, I had already seen it. Home Alone, the Christmas gift of the year. $24.98 or $5 less with Pepsi rebate. Now wasn't that fun? Rated PG. I saw it. Right after it came out, because my parents, I'll, I'll never forget that my parents were still together at the time, and they got it on one of the movie channels, HBO or Showtime or one something. Of the early day movie yeah. channels. And we watched it together, and I really liked it. And then my brother, not long after, who I didn't live with, but he got the VHS, you know, the videotape. Right. And I used to borrow, I've probably seen this movie, Quinn, 30, 40 times. I've definitely seen it a lot yeah. over my lifetime. Uh, probably just as much. And it's very quotable. Yeah. Oh, it is. It, gonna, it's one of those things you don't realize when you first saw it how quotable it was it's so memorable it just yeah. sticks out to us so folks we're going to walk you through a little bit of the plot again this is not a full-scale review we've done those in the past and on other things on other shows that we allegedly used to do we've done no, full-length movie this is reviews. not that though. this is not that this is just a summary because we have a lot of things to talk about so but the general idea is you know we start with establishing this large family they're all rushing around because it's not only the McAllisters, which is mm-hmm. a big family it's frank's family as well right so you got the cousins it's, there it's a real mess pete's brother and his family are here oh it's crazy Trisha's going to Montreal. Montreal? Uh-huh. Oh, that's right. Her family's there. And then we're off. When do you leave? Oh, you're not ready, are you? Mom, Uncle Frank won't let me watch the movie, but the big kids can. Why can't I? Kevin, I'm on the phone. No what? one has any time for Kevin. Right. So we, we have this whole, like, the family's rushing around. Kevin is kind of being, no offense, it, like, as an adult, Kevin is really kind of being a pain in the balls. He is, like, being kind of a dick. Kevin, out of the room. Hang up the phone and make me, why don't you? Dad, nobody let me do anything. You don't have anything to do? I got something for you to do. You can pick up those micro machines that are all over in there. And Leslie stepped on one and almost broke her neck. They've got a big ass trip to Paris to go to. Right. It's very stressful. There's on the 15 parents. people in the house. Now, remember? there's something very strange going on while this mess is happening, right? What is that, Michael? Is that there's like a cop yeah, there? Trying to like, get people's attention, right? Little right. fella, little fella, yeah, or whatever. Like, 
Are your parents here? My parents live in Paris, sorry. Hi. Hi. Are your parents home? Yeah. Do they live here? No. No. Why should they? All kids, no parents. Probably if that's the orphanage. And then also a pizza guy shows up, so it's like the two of them standing yeah, in the foyer. The, the two of these guys <laughs> that are unrelated to this mess are like just standing there. Okay, that's a hundred and twenty-two fifty. Not for me, kid. I don't live here. Oh, you're just around for the holidays? I guess you could say that. And finally, uh, you know, the cop asked the dad at some point, you know, like, what are you doing for safety? Blah, blah, blah. Right. It's the holidays. We're just checking. We're just checking. Everyone has their locks and all that yep. figured out. It's uh, Christmas time. There's always a lot of burglaries around the holidays. So we're just checking the neighborhood to see if everyone's taking the proper precautions. That's all. Oh, yeah. Well, we have uh, automatic timers for our lights, locks for our doors. That's about as well as anybody can do these days, right? Did you get some eggnog or something like that? Come on, Dad. Let's see. Meanwhile, the pizza's served, and Kevin wanted the plain cheese, Yeah, and Buzz is an asshole, right? Because Buzz has already said things like, I wouldn't let you sleep in my room if you were growing on my ass. Right. right? And don't you know how to knock phlegmwad? Don't you know how to knock phlegmwad? Can I sleep in your room? I don't want to sleep on the hide bed before. If you have something to drink, he'll wet the bed. I wouldn't let you sleep in my room if you were growing on my ass. And they see the the guy Marley. Yeah, Marley. They see the old man like shoveling shit or yep. whatever. And and he's like, he turns the bodies into mummies <laughs> yeah. and like all they they start like essentially telling like kid ghost stories yeah, to him. He like murdered this whole f- family. Yeah, he's, in he's like a crazy person right. and all this stuff. The salt turns the bodies into mummies. So when we're back eating the pizza here, uh, a little bit of a tizzy breaks out between Kevin and Buzz. Did anyone order me a plain cheese? Oh well, yeah, we did. But if you want any, somebody's going to have to barf it all up because it's gone. It results in literally people crying over spilt milk. Yes. Literally. <laughs> like quite literally. It well, spills on the boarding passes. shit where like Fuller is like kind of just <laughs> sitting there and like all this shit's like spilling around him. Like it's And like, then the chair like goes up against his face. Yeah. Get a plate. What I like about this scene, the way it's shown is more in the kids' eyes of yes. how a spill is like such a disaster. But yeah, in like right. reality, it isn't. Just clean like, up the thing. Yeah, it's like, not that big a deal. Like in an adult's eye, this <laughs> right. is just like, oh, oh no, we got to clean it. Like it's like not a big deal. Like even the dad just like, all right, let me move these passports out of here. Yeah, yeah. But what he does do is you see, they don't say anything. He throws a boarding pass out by accident. Right. That becomes important. So Fuller, by the way, is Kieran Culkin, Macaulay's younger brother. We should mention mm-hmm. that for the record. He also went on to have his own career. Fuller, go easy on the Pepsi. Anyway, Kevin has to sleep all the way upstairs on the third floor. He started it. He ate my pizza on purpose. He knows I ate sausage and olives and Look what you did, you little jerk. Kevin, get upstairs right now. Why? Kevin, you're such a disease. Shut up. Kevin, upstairs. Say goodnight, Kevin. Goodnight, Kevin. They have some words. I mean, he's like, I never want to see any of you again and all that. Families suck. 
Just stay up there. I don't want to see you again for the rest of the night. I don't want to see you again for the rest of my whole life. And I don't want to see anybody else either. I hope you don't mean that. You'd feel pretty sad if you woke up tomorrow morning and you didn't have a family. No, I wouldn't. Then say it again. Maybe it'll happen. I hope I never see any jerks again. There is a look of her kind of like, I, I've always felt, from the kid perspective, he you think you're hurting her feelings, but she, she's kind, she of kind of rolling her eyes like, okay, whatever. After like, she closes the door and walks away, she does like a dismissive like, all right. Yeah, it's just like. <laughs> whatever she, kid. He's, he's just, he's, he's, he's a child. Yeah. Like, he just says shit. He's like, a semi-bratty child. This right, happens, like, right? Yeah, it's just like, whatever. She just like moves on with her <laughs> right. life. Like, she's got other shit to do. Yeah. Uh, so in the middle of the night, remember, we're on the north shore of Chicago, of Illinois here. Uh, there's a windy power outage. A windy city. A windy city, Quinn. Everyone sleeps in. Remember, they got to get up early. They have to all catch this fucking flight from O'Hare to Paris. Peter! We slept in! <laughs> So they sleep and, you know, it's a very iconic scene, right? right? So now there's like all this like chaos and they they get outside and they're finally organizing everything, right? With the buses and all this, the vans. And now there's like this older sister figure. Who is this Older cousin, Heather. Older cousin, Heather. Like she's clearly like... 23 or something. She's supposed like, to be, Yeah, though. she's, yeah. like, way older than everyone else, yeah, she's right? Yeah, she's the surrogate adult. Yeah, she's the adult that's responsible for the, the ground grunt work, essentially. <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> and she's and like, basically, she's, like, counting the heads. Yep. 1, 2, 11, 3, 92, 12. Buzz, don't be a moron. There's this other kid, like, from across the street. Yeah, He's Murphy. like, what are you doing? Uh, bring me back some French. Like, all this shit, right? <laughs> Mitch Murphy. How fast does this thing go? Does it have automatic transmission? Does it have four-wheel drive? And Heather, because she's counting a hundred kids' heads... And Buzz is trying to mess her up. Right. She sees this kid who has, like, a similar-ish... Like, he's the similar height to Kevin. He's about the same age. But he's kind of, like, poking around in the (laughs) stuff. So she just, like, thinks it's him. Right? So she counts him as Kevin. Yeah. Right? And this becomes very important. He also has one of those great scenes, Mitch Murphy, where he's in the van with the annoyed driver. He's like, these vans get good gas mileage. Does this have four-wheel <laughs> drive? Like, it's all so these good. dumb questions. I don't know, kid. Get out of here. Or yeah. Whatever. It's so good. But anyway. Where are they going? Like, all these like all these questions. He's like, we're going first to Missouri to pick up my grandma. Yeah. Uh, he leaves. Bring me back something French. Have a good trip. Bring me back something French. I don't know why this guy is so memorable. The mustachioed phone line worker. Yeah. He's like, the power's up, but the phone lines are a mess. It's going to take Ma Bell yeah, he, two, three it's days. That he, it's that he just proclaims Ma Bell. Like in this, <laughs> That's in the, what it is. In this like mess of stuff, we're just going <laughs> to mention Ma Bell. That's why you remember him. It, it, I, I swear no that's one why. says that, like outside of that area. Like who the f- who called it Ma Bell? Like it, it's, it's Bell Atlantic or wherever you're Pacific from. Bell, yeah. yeah. I just wanted to let you know that your power is fixed, but the phone lines are a mess. It's gonna take Ma Bell a couple of days to patch them up, especially around the holidays. Okay, thanks. But Kate's like not even paying attention, so she doesn't hear that the phones are out. She doesn't even like it's not registering, right? Right. So they're scurrying to the van, and they get out of there. Meanwhile, go upstairs to the third floor. The door opens. Kevin's woken up. He's got, like, the fucked up hair. Remember, yeah. remember, what do we used to call your hair when it was all fucked up? Kevin McAllister hair. Right? I forgot. I just remember that yeah. now. So, he's, like, kind of, like, in a daze. And I think because he's young, there's an aspect to it of, like, that he's confused that his mother didn't wake him up. 
And you got to also remember, he wasn't sleeping in his normal bed. Right. He was all the way on the third He's floor. He's all confused, basically. Yep. And he presumably didn't hear any of the commotion because he was all the way upstairs right. while he was sleeping. Yeah. So he thinks he made his family disappear because he said he never wanted to see them again. Of course, that's not really yeah, what The line happened. that Catherine O'Hara just rolled her eyes at yeah. that he thinks it's like so important. <laughs> yeah, it's right? magic, right? Yeah. I made my family disappear. And at first, he loves his newfound freedom, right? He goes grocery shopping. He eat. I'm eating junk and watching rubbish. You better come down and stop so, me. So, yeah, he's yelling this. What do you mean? Guys, I'm eating junk and watching rubbish. Yeah. You better come out and stop me. So he's just fucking around. Meanwhile, on the plane to Paris, where it's suddenly dark, and that is like a weird plot hole because they left at like, what, eight in the morning. That's what right. they said. They had to leave at eight in the morning. On the way to Paris, it would not get dark. Well, unless they, like, flew over Russia to get there instead. <laughs> no, like, oh, they didn't fly over Russia. They went through the Pacific route, which wouldn't make any sense. So it didn't, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, It's that's a weird one. But anyway, that's where they're talking, Kate and Peter, in first class, yeah. remember? Because the kids are all back in coach. Don't you feel like a heel flying first class with all the kids back in coach? No, the kids are fine. Why would they not put one of the adults to say, I'll sit and coach with the kids and make sure they don't get out of control or anything? Presumably. Any the- of them. Like, <laughs> we'll just one of them be responsible here. Like, But it's, it's a necessary plot component because they're not there to see the cat. How did no one else notice that Kevin wasn't there? The kids, by the way. None of the kids noticed. Maybe they just figured, like, Heather's got it taken care of. Like, that's her job. <laughs> that's right. She's yep. the adult surrogate. Uh, it's also got a great scene where um, Uncle Frank is like, that's real crystal. Put it in your purse. Put yeah, it in yeah. your purse. Yeah. It's real. So? Put them in your purse. Put, 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 just put them in your purse. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, fill it up. Fill it up. Fill it up, please. Thank you. But anyway, they're talking... And she's like, did you turn off the coffee maker, blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly, you know, that iconic shot. What else can we be forgetting? Kevin! That realization that I have not seen my youngest child the yep. entire time. Yep. Where it, like, that's weird. And, yeah. then, and she just gets, like, the motherhood, like... I know he's not, I can sense his presence and he's not here. Correct. Right? Yep, 100%. Meanwhile, the wet bandits, uh, we get to see them together for the first time. And wouldn't you know it, one of them, Harry, is the guy that was the cop in the beginning of the movie. Yes. So mm. this is the reveal, right? Yes. And suddenly he's not in a cop uniform. He's got no. a knit cap on and a, <laughs> and a, 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 like a coat. Yeah, like a, a coat. like a very thick coat that looks like he stole it from something. <laughs> like Five families gone on one block alone. They all told me from their own mouths. <laughs> it's almost too easy. Now, they're called the Wet Bandits because Marv always leaves the water running, much mm-hmm. to Harry's chagrin. Yeah, Harry's like, this This is stupid. <laughs> He's like, you're sick, you know that? <laughs> yeah, and Marv just, we have to have a calling. Call. Like, Marv thinks they're, like, bigger than they are. Like, yeah. no one gives a shit about them, like, on it. And, He's and, trying to be, like, main event villains and stuff. Yeah, he thinks they're, like, Batman villains yeah, or something. Like it's, penguin. Like, it's like, nobody cares, dude. Like, it's our calling card, Harry. Now, I love Daniel Stern in this movie. Yeah. I like, I love him because he's just so goofy. He's almost likable. It's like, kind of like like Marv 
thinks this is a different thing than Harry thinks it is, right? It's yeah, like, there you go. Harry seems fully aware that they're fucking criminals, right? <laughs> Marv thinks this is some grandiose, like, something that matters or something. Like, it's a, this is a career. Like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's great. I never even thought of that. Yeah. You're right, though. That's what yeah. it is. So anyway, it's established throughout the movie that Harry is laid. You know, ever since I laid eyes on this house, I wanted it. He's figured out when their timers What's go on. What's it called? The golden something? Oh, the silver tuna. The silver tuna. That's it. It's weird. Yeah. It's very G, though. Yeah. Remember? And that's the one, Marvin. That's the silver tuna. Oh, it's very G. Very G, huh? It's loaded. So they try to get in. Kevin turns on the lights. Which scares them away. That's the, the first, first time. like way Kevin gets them gone. Like he turns on the lights while he sees them outside, and they just kind of like, oh shit, let's get, let's sleep. Like that yeah. works initially, right? I thought you said they were gone. We we're supposed to leave this morning. Let's get out of here. The cars are in the garage, but if you remember Peter on the plane's like, yeah, I forgot to close the garage. And you see that he did, remember? Yeah. The garage doors are open. So Harry and Marvel, like, wait a minute, their cars are here. They're thinking, you know, yeah. maybe they are home. Right. It's plausible. Right. But they decide, all right, let's try again, right? So they go there. Here's the thing is Kevin's now like he he knows like these dudes are trying to fuck with the house somehow, yes, right? He doesn't right. know all the details, but he says, I'll just I'll plan this big elaborate, I'll make it look like there's a bunch of people here, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so Kevin like gets his choo-choo train and he puts like <laughs> his Michael Jordan standee and he has like these mannequins from the attic and he and he from like the basement, yeah. He, he puts ropes on them and makes them look like they're moving around. One and, of them's on our turntable. Yeah, like it's all this like elaborate almost M.C. Escher kid <laughs> shit. Like, it's like, it's weird, and right? he's blasting rocking around the Christmas tree by Brenda Lee. And so, Harry and Marv pull up and they're like, ah, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> there's there's people there. Like, what the hell? What the hell is I this? I can see them moving around. Like, it looks, they give you their view and it literally looks like there's just people Yeah, there, it looks right? realistic. I'll come back tomorrow, man. It'll be gone by then. You better get out of here before somebody sees us. Meanwhile, throughout this, there's been a couple of times where Kevin's been outside his house and he sees Marley shoveling. Kevin runs away from him every time, but to Kevin's credit here, like Marley does just kind of stare at him with a weird look. So what do you make of it, Quinn? I make of it as this is another... We see certain things through the kid eyes and we see certain things through the adult eyes, right? I think Marley... It's just like, that's weird. There's a kid, like, where's his parents? Like, right? It's like, so he's just kind of staring at it, right? Maybe he's shy, too. Maybe yeah. he's not like... And also, he's just shoveling his, like... His, driveway. His driveway. That's like, all... what the fuck? Like, he's not even doing anything like, <laughs> malicious. Like, but Buzz fucking scared him. Yeah. See, that's, that's why it's yeah. important. I'm not afraid anymore! Kevin decides to get some groceries, which he does. Um, and there's a great scene with him and the uh, the cashier <laughs> where they're going back and forth. Remember? Right, right. And remember? She holds up the army men and he's like, for the kids. For the kids. Hold on, I got a coupon for that. There's, a, there's little things with the way Kevin shops. For example, his mom must have said to him, 
oh, we can only, maybe she said it just once just because the dentist told her or something. Right, we right. need to get a toothbrush that's <laughs> USDA approved. Yeah. That's what the dentist said. Or, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, Kevin takes this as law, like essentially, <laughs> and he walks into the, and he's like, oh, the is, pharmacy? This, is this approved by the American dent? Like, like all, he's asking all these like silly questions that no one would freaking ask because it's just on the label and I can't read it. What's funny about that scene too is the old lady, she's like, I, I don't know. Okay. And then but, she, yeah, she's like, Herb, I have a question about a toothbrush. Yeah. And and then he's like, I don't know. Herb. Yeah? I've got a question here about a toothbrush. Yeah. It's like no one's even trying to help. And so Kevin then sees Marley, who comes in with a, a bloody hand, right? Yeah, he's obviously coming for bandages because it's a drugstore. And you see him buying them, by the way. Yeah. But anyway, Kevin's still holding the toothbrush. He backs out of the frame. This unbelievable shit. So Kevin, so Kevin is, it's not like Kevin's like trying to steal. He's no. Just, he's, he gets like legitimately like frightened. Yeah, like as a, Like a child. And he just runs away without thinking. So the the old lady, <laughs> we get we get to meet. He has one line, and it's a, this this character, <laughs> Jimmy. Stop that boy! Now the best part is that there's this weird zoom in on Jimmy, and he kind of like looks into the sky like he's Superman or something. Like it looks so stupid. Son, son, hey, Jimmy, stop that boy! It's one of those things that I will never ever forget and it's you, so like stark weird strange and like almost an inside joke or something you like, know either chris columbus or johnny you know that's on purpose it's too deliberate it's majestic it's like yeah. a superhero shot yeah, yeah. jimmy who and yeah. they like propose yeah. almost jimmy, stop that boy hey shoplifter yeah and then we have that famous scene of the cop chasing kevin like yeah. on a frozen pond actually just a man-made ice skating rink and there's there is a funny part at the end of it when kevin escaped you realize he isn't a bad kid he just he's like now i'm a thief i'm or, a criminal yeah or or like, he he's says, like yeah. all sad i'm a criminal we're kind of skipping around a little bit we're trying to go in order throughout all of this obviously kevin's family once they're at the airport in paris mm -hmm. they're trying to call kevin they're not stupid right the phone lines are down remember ma bell ma it's gonna take ma bell days right. to fix this ma bell Kate, obviously, is like, I want to get the fuck on the next flight to Chicago. Right. However, it's Christmas Eve. There are not any. So she agrees to wait and try to get on standby while the family goes to Peter's other brother, Rob McAllister, who's the right. one that lives in Paris right now. The that, other rich brother, by the, the way. This place is huge. <laughs> I know. Like, it's it ridiculously, is, it's a, like this penthouse apartment in, it's in really France. Nice. Like, it doesn't make any it's sense. It's really nice. So they're all going there, and Kate's like basically doing her own planes, trains, and automobiles, right? Like, whatever yeah. the fuck I have so, to do. that's an interesting observation, because her storyline in this is almost like to a T- planes trains right almost like it's very similar yeah the motivation is it's just not as detailed because planes and trains is all about it correct but we're just clipping to Catherine o'hara's storyline and it's essentially she's going through a comedy of like travel mishaps yeah one of the best scenes involving kate and it's great in a comedic sense and then a, a very dramatic sense where she's trying to convince an elderly couple billy bird and bill Irwin mm -hmm. are the actors to switch flights so she can get the, the right. quicker flight out of there. <laughs> she's offering earrings, and then Bill Irwin's like, she's got a whole shoe box full of earrings, a dangly ones. The dangly ones, yeah. <laughs> so another notable line. 
Oh, this gal has offered us two first-class tickets if we go Friday. Plus a ring, a watch, a, a pocket translator, $500, and the earrings. You love the earrings. She's got her own earrings, a whole shoebox full of dangly ones. Come on, come on. No, but... I'm desperate. I'm begging you, from a mother to a mother, please. Oh, Ed, please. Oh, all right. There's like a realism to it. And I think this is the part of the movie where um, what we talked about before with how John Hughes is really good at like humanizing his characters, even if they are in like zany situations. Yep. We're like, no, these, this is like a real problem. Like, and it needs like somebody needs to help. Yeah. Right. right? Absolutely. That's a great scene because she like, she like basically starts crying. She's like, please, yeah. you know, it, great scene. We also see the rest of the characters. McAllister's at the apartment in France and they're all fucking bored. They're watching It's a Wonderful Life dubbed in French. Yeah. Buzz is the only one that doesn't care. Yeah, but most of them are like worried sick. Yeah. Right? A lot especially a lot of the sisters. Do you uh, notice that? Yes. Like Megan's like, Aren't you worried about him? Buzz is like Buzz does the A two D. You're not at all worried that something might happen to him. No. For three reasons. A, I'm not that lucky. Two, we have smoke detectors. And D we live in the most boring street in the United States of America where nothing even remotely dangerous will ever happen. Period. Meanwhile, in the midst of this, Kevin orders pizza. And I thought the <laughs> phone lines were down. Isn't there, like, a point which they go back on? No? Because there's also the, like, oh, my Murphy, my house, or whatever. <laughs> like, that whole shit. Oh, my Murphy. No, I know uh, what you yeah. mean. <laughs> this is Murphy, my house is being robbed, or whatever. My name's Murphy. Yeah. That whole shit. So, like, I know the phone lines go on at some point. They do, but I just don't and know. And the cops, like, at the, the shitty, like, call center. Oh, well, that that scene, we have to mention that one. That's yeah. so funny. That, by the way, Larry Hankin is the guy, the, the cop yeah. that's eating the donut. He's the guy that played um Mr. Heckles on Friends and also the fake uh, Kramer. Mm-hmm. Not fake Kramer, but, you know, like... Uh, Feldman? TV, no, not Feldman. TV Kramer and the pilot. Oh, okay. Where they do the, the Seinfeld show, the Jerry show. But anyway, anyway, I love that when he's eating a donut, it falls on the receiver for a little bit. It's yeah. very funny. Family crisis intervention, Sergeant Balzac. I'm calling from Paris. I have a son who's home alone. Has a child been involved in a violent altercation with a drunken and or mentally ill member of his immediate family? No. Has he been involved in a household accident? I don't know. I don't... I, I, I hope not. The point here is that this movie that Kevin had been watching comes in very handy. Angels with Filthy the Souls. The movie that Uncle Frank wouldn't let him watch. Correct. Because it was too violent or something. And it is because the guy gets shot. Now, this is another fascinating part about the movie in general is that this they made this, yeah. like, scene or something. They made a 1940s-style gangster movie. Like, why did they just not use... Like, <laughs> this seems like such an elaborate, dumb thing to make. Well, I guess so they could use the dialogue from it so they can control... The other thing is they probably could have shot like multiple lines and then picked the one they wanted. Correct. Right? Yeah. So they had a lot more control. So he uses this movie to scare away the delivery kid. Mm-hmm. And also Marv at one point when Marv tries to return. Remember he sticks his foot in. Yeah. He loses his shoe. Remember the shoe? Yeah. He's like, shit. Yeah. It's the only curse in the movie. Shit. <laughs> and then. Uh, shit. And then Kevin plays that and sets off fireworks that he stole from Buzz's room. There's also right. a spider we should mention. Buzz has a spider. It, it escapes at some point in the movie, and it's like roaming around the house as like essentially a wild card. Yes. Right? Like they, they very firmly establish that the spider is a wild card, and you don't know when it's going to show yep. up. It's it's there, 
and we don't know. We like, don't know. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> that's true. Yeah, because Kevin destroyed Buzz's room when he climbed the shelves, and right, they and they just conveniently him. clipped that the spider got away. But what it's doing, we don't know. That's all. Yep. <laughs> So anyway, Harry and Marv wind up catching on that Kevin's home alone because they see him cutting down a piece of a tree and dragging it to his house. I think we're getting scammed by a kindergartner. That's that scene where Harry peers through the window while Kevin's doing ornaments and you just he sees like Joe Pesci's face in the corner of the window. It's creepy. It is creepy. And he tries to like call for his dad, but Harry yeah. doesn't believe him. Mm-hmm. Remember, he sounds all scared. He's like, Dad, can you come help me? Dad, can you come here and help me? What do you think of Macaulay Culkin's acting in this movie? You think it's he's okay? Great. You think it is? Like he's actually he's really good. good. I yeah. think he's pretty good. It's realistic. Like it makes a lot of sense. Like everything that happens. I think he's. It's, it's one of those movies that's thought out, like how Back to the Future is thought out. Yeah. Like where it's like every conceivable plot hole is like has a tight like thing over it where you can't like for the most part it's foolproof. Yeah, I right? think for the most part it is. I do think Macaulay Culkin is much better at playing snarky than he is playing like emotional. Yeah, it's true. I don't think he's a like he's not very emotional. No, by the end of the movie though, his sadness about like wow, it's Christmas and I don't have my family and I'm really learning my lesson here. It's palpable and it's understandable sure. and he's good at like conveying it. I think he is. I just think maybe he's a better comedic actor than he is a dramatic of actor. Yeah, that's all. But anyway, so they catch on and he hears them out the window saying that they'll come back at nine o'clock. We'll unload the van. Get a bite to eat, and we'll come back about nine o'clock. This way it's dark then. Yeah. Kids are scared of the dark. You're afraid of the dark too, Marv. You know you No, I'm not. Kate makes her way to Scranton, leading to like one of the most unimportant, but like if there were ever a guy <laughs> that was a ticket agent in Scranton, the, the guy they had play him is, right? Yeah, this looks like <laughs> they they perfectly cast ticket agent in Scranton. Right? He's unbelievable. I have been awake for almost 60 hours. I'm tired and I'm dirty. I've been from Chicago to Paris to Dallas to... Where the hell am I? Scranton. But the reason this scene is important is not because of the ticket agent, although he's very notable. It's because Kate runs into... Gus Polinski. Yes, John Candy. John Candy, who just lights up this movie. Can we be honest? So... Here's the thing with Kate in her whole quest here is she's very like alone the whole time, right? Yeah, she's alone and as I well. I feel like John Candy's insertion into this very much gives her like somebody to give her support emotionally and even the ride and everything, right? That's what's great about it. So John Candy, um, he's filmed this in one day for the record as a favor to John Hughes, which is really I mean, cool. He's, it's, he doesn't have that much to do in this movie <laughs> no it's not a lot and he improvised pretty much everything and and Catherine O'Hara knew him like they, so they improvised together again Catherine O'Hara if you know anything about her as an actress improv, improv is her is, that's her is, forte that's literally yeah where she got her start that's what she is so just put her and John Candy and they'll, they'll figure it out this has some great lines. Just John Candy alone in his brief screen time, you know, with uh, Sheboygan, very yeah. big in Sheboygan, yeah. you know? I know, and like the self-deprecating like stuff about how he like would mess up shit with his family yeah. and stuff. Like all that stuff's really funny. I had a few hits a few years ago. Uh, that's why, I, you know, just polka, 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 polka. No, it, Twin Lakes polka, Damavuji polka, a.k.a. Kiss Me polka, polka twist. But these are songs. Yeah. Yeah, we some fairly big hits for us, you know, in the early 70s, you know. <laughs> yeah, we sold about 623 copies of that. In Chicago? No, Sheboygan. Very big in Sheboygan. They loved it. 
they're going to Milwaukee, him and the Kenosha Kickers. And yeah. he's like, well, we'll give you a ride to Chicago. Yeah. You Very know? big in Sheboygan. Very big in Sheboygan. 623 copies. Yeah. Uh, so so she winds up riding in a, uh, a rental van, a rental truck with the Kenosha Kickers, his polka band. And that's her thread for now. Meanwhile, before Kevin does the whole battle, we have probably the best acted scene in the movie and the most real heartfelt one, which is the scene in the church. Right. I love this scene. I'm not kidding. With Kevin sitting there just for some somewhere to be, right? right. He just he has so, nothing to do. So what it is is basically like he feels like he needs to go say a prayer for like his upcoming like battle with yeah. the burglars, right? But why is this important to the plot? Because they could have just said he went to the church and came back, right? <laughs> right. The, the, like, the important part, it's twofold. One, he runs into old man Marley yep. and realizes he's just a regular guy and he's, like, nice and he just wants to see his daughter and granddaughter and all that business, yep. right? So now, like, he's an ally with old man Marley. Remember that. Yep. Second is that Kevin realizes through this conversation and through just being at the church how he was wrong about not needing his or wanting his family. So he's like learning his lesson. And the great duality here is that Marley realizes the same thing from Kevin. The reason the rumor, because remember he addresses the rumor, he's like, there's a lot of things going on about me. None of them are true. Yeah. Is because he's never seen with his family because he had a falling out with his son. If you miss him, why don't you call him? I'm afraid if I call him, he won't talk to me. How do you know? I don't know. I'm just afraid he won't. No offense, but aren't you a little old to be afraid? You can be a little old for a lot of things. You're never too old to be afraid. That's true. I've always been afraid of our basement. It's dark, there's weird stuff down there, and it smells funny, that sort of thing. It's bothered me for years. Yeah, basements are like that. Then I made myself go down there to do some laundry, and I found out it's not so bad. All this time I've been worrying about it, but if you turn on the lights, it's no big deal. What's your point? My point is, you should call your son. It's just a really good scene. I think yeah. their back and forth dialogue is really well yeah. executed. Now they're kind of like, they're buddies. Yeah, it's right? really good. So Kevin gets there. He's going to eat his craft macaroni and cheese. He never gets to eat it, yeah. which pisses every kid off. The, the, the gong goes off. It's and nine it gets, o'clock. It's time. Bless his highly nutritious microwaveable macaroni and cheese dinner, and the people who sold it on sale. Amen. And that's where all hell breaks loose. This is where we're talking about the booby traps, the micro machines, you know, whoop, uh, nail on the stairs, so, remember? So I want to say a lot of the things with these booby oh traps, God. right? They're, they're like brutal, Quinn. They're gruesome, yeah. some of them. Like if they happen in real life, you'd be fucked. So it is a tour de force of, like, booby traps. What? 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 What happened? There's certain things that they show that I can't even believe they went that far. They they show his like the nail going into his foot. <laughs> the other thing that always creeped me out is the him walking on the ornaments, on the, ornaments. the broken glass. Yeah. Awful. The worst part is that he steps on it initially, screams because it hurts. Yeah. But then he has to walk through the rest of it. That's the part that gets me is like the. 
Yeah. Like the like oh the my crinkling. Yeah, the like oh god. The falling on ice is really well executed. It's stuntmen doing yeah. all those things, the, obviously. Um, the the Joe Pesci with the flame thing on yeah, his blowtorch. The blowtorch He heated up the like doorknob and then like the McAllister name is yep. like in his hand. The M, yep. Yeah. There's also the harmless one, which is just funny, which is the glue gun that he used. He put it on like cellophane. Yeah. And then it blows a fan with feathers just yeah, like, that, for that no reason. That one's just nothing. It's just like embarrassing. Like, right. It's just like stupid. It's, it's just like, The best is when they walk into it and it's like, just it's not even loud. It's just like the sound of like air hitting yeah. them and they just are like, the fuck? Like, <laughs> like, like that's literally the reaction. Like, what? Like, that's the one where like Harry's like, Mauve? Why the hell did you take your shoes shoes off? And Harry's, I mean, Marvin's like, why the hell are you dressed like a chicken? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and maybe it was just to get that line in there. Yeah, it's, it's just nothing. It's, it's nothing. literally nothing. Marv, Harry, why the hell did you take your shoes off? Why the hell are you dressed like a chicken? As they like start to realize there's traps, this is where the plan kind of goes awry a little bit because yes. suddenly they're getting like, pissed. By the way, they're getting pissed, and suddenly they like are aware. And what's the one that I swear Harry just like blows through it? Like he just sees it and he fucking like whacks it out of the way. Uh, like, that's where he goes in for the second time with the blowtorch. Right. But let me just also mention this. Joe Pesci is so stupidly funny in this because he's basically pulling like, I don't know, a foghorn leghorn because he yeah. can't curse. And obviously, if you ever see Joe Pesci in something rated R, yeah. that's what he does. The, the, fucking, fucking, fucking. Yeah, yeah, that, that shit's... There's other, there's other stuff that's incredibly violent that I forgot to mention. Like, hey, let me just swing paint cans in their face. Like, that would like kill someone. There's also the iron to the face that yeah. Marv takes. Yeah, yeah. it's insane. We should mention the spider made an appearance where we're Oh yeah, so that we met we, we mentioned now the spider like roaming trump card, right? Yeah. There's this amazing part where Kevin's almost caught. Yeah, Marv's got him by the ankle. <laughs> and Marv's got him by the ankle, and then suddenly the spider makes its like re-emergence and he puts it on his head and the screamer. <laughs> Like, and he just, like, he, like, falls down the stairs. Like, it's, like, so dramatic. <laughs> it's so good. And then it lands on Harry. What are you doing, Marv? Harry, don't move. Marv? Don't move. Marv, what are you doing? Marv. Hi! Ah! And Marv is like, did I get it? And then Harry takes his girlfriend. How do you like it, you jerk? Yeah. <laughs> did I get him? Did I get him? Where is it? Where is it? Never mind, did you get it? How do you like it, huh? You jerk! Get the kid for us! Get the kid! They're both hilarious. Daniel yeah. Stern and Joe Pesci are great in this movie. Uh -huh. They really are. So anyway, the one where they finally figure it out is where Kevin runs across the street. Right. To the Murphy's house. Now, <laughs> Hi, I'm Murphy. <laughs> my name's Murphy. Girl, my house is being robbed. My address is 656 Lincoln Boulevard. My name's Murphy. The Wet Bandits had robbed the Murphy's house a couple earlier, of days couple prior. A couple of days prior. And they left the water running. Now, they also heard... Peter McAllister call and leave them a message saying they were in Paris. That's how Harry knew for sure. But I right. need to ask a question. Thought the phones were down this whole time. 
When he's calling the Murphys, why didn't he call Kevin? He said only a couple of days. It's been like I, a week by this no, point. It, it's only the phone service wouldn't when, have been down this long. He's not home alone for a week. For a couple of days, it's even like two. Twenty-four hours. Like, is, have you seen how Ma Bell operates? I'm just saying, Quinn. When Peter McAllister called the Murphys, why didn't he call his own house right afterwards? I don't know. Plot hole. Wasn't he it's not okay. answering the phone or something? No, like, he wasn't answering the door. Right. That okay. other cop, there's nobody here. Tell them to count their kids again. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. But anyway, anyway, let's get back to this. So Kevin runs across the street to the Murphy's house. My name's Murphy. And yeah. <laughs> Why does that resonate so much? Because it's just ridiculous. Like the the weird, like out of nowhere imitation of an adult. Yeah, like it's just stupid. Help! My house is being robbed. Like, yeah, why does he have to be an adult? Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't. He have doesn't to have, be. But he thinks it fits into Kevin's like psyche throughout the movie that he thinks like nobody will take it seriously if it's a kid. So it's the same thing as the uh, the American Dental Association. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Like He's a- been scarred from the shopping experience <laughs> that like nobody's gonna like believe him for the kids. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So anyway. Marv wants to go one way, but Harry's like, no, that's where he wants it. He wants us to follow him, go around the other side. Right. And that's where Kevin's running through the flooded basement, which is Mm -hmm. a cool visual. Yeah, it is. He comes to the top of the stairs, opens the door, and it's... Hiya, pal. We outsmarted you this time. Get over here. And then they hook him. They hang him on the door by his sweater. This is actually like one of my favorite moments in the movie is when you think he's just screwed. Yep. And then suddenly, boom, Boom. old man Marley with the shovel just takes their asses out. First thing I'm going to do is bite off every one of these little fingers one at a time. And he's like, like with the full power of an adult, <laughs> which is what has been like the, the factor that Kevin doesn't have on his side. He's just a kid. Good point. Uh, and old man strength. Don't forget. Yeah, I mean, old Marley, man strength. He's been around. Plus, man. He, put, he turns the bodies into mummies. <laughs> and keep in mind, Kevin's already called the cops. So they're yeah. on their way. And so Marley's knocked them the hell out and he grabs Kevin and they get the fuck out of there. Yeah. Right? It's like, let's get you home. Yeah. So the cops show up and, and then Ke- Kevin gets to see them get arrested on the yep. across the street. Joe Pesci looking all fucked up, looking yeah. out the window to him, mm-hmm. remember? Now, wh- there's a little bit of comedy with Marv, because again, like you said, Marv is much more esoteric about all of this. <laughs> Grandiose. So here's the thing. This is why, actually, I love the fact that old man Marley knocks him out in the flooded house. Yeah. Because... The cop says to him, it's like, all the houses in the neighborhood have been flooded. And now we know every single one you've ever been to. And he's like, we're the wet bandits. Don't forget. W-E-T. Shut up. (laughs) Shut up, mom. (laughs) It's really good. Hey, you know, we've been looking for you two guys for a long time. Yeah. Remember, we're the wet bandits. Wet bandits. Shut up. The wet bandits are taken away. Kevin wakes up the next day, which is Christmas Day. Right, and he he goes down and he realizes even though we we beat the bandits and, and everything's good, There's my no- parents aren't here. And he still thinks for whatever reason that he like made them disappear or some <laughs> shit. Like he does. He's eight, right? Yeah. Mom. But then suddenly, a budget rental truck pulls up. Kate is dropped off. Oh, Kevin, I'm so sorry. Then they finally have their reunion, and he asks, like, where's everybody else? She's like, well, they wanted to come today. They couldn't, right? 
a minute or two later, the whole family like busts in again. Baby, they couldn't come. They wanted to so much. No, I didn't fall asleep in that. You did You do drugs. And this kind of makes this <laughs> Catherine O'Hara's like whole mission like almost like wait a sec, they just were able to like get here they just at, the waited, same, at the same damn time. They just waited for the Friday flight like yeah. they were supposed to. Right. She said, No, I'm not, but it wound up taking her just as long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the point. And so everyone reunites and they're all happy. What's nice about it is that through this whole ordeal any kind of feuds or anything like that, everyone like just throws it aside. It's like, it's like, we're just so glad to see you again. Even Buzz. Yeah, even Buzz, right. Like the, the nice-ish moment with well, Buzz. Well, because Buzz gives him like props for like <laughs> hanging on his own. Yeah. Even though like, honestly, he's way too young to have like made it through this. No. Like, well, like, the bad guys and yeah, all that? Yeah, yeah, of course. Hey, Kev. It's pretty cool that you didn't burn the place down. Thanks, Buzz. Well, someone has to find an open store. We don't even have milk here. I went shopping yesterday. You shopping? I got the milk, eggs, and fabric softener. No kidding. What a funny guy. What else did you do while we were away? Just hung around. Then there's a great scene where Kevin looks out the window and he sees Marley with his family. Yeah. Remember that? that? Yeah, everything's like because of that thing, Marley like makes sure. He called his son probably. He, like he put, he lets bygones be got bygones and now he's with his family. It's so good. That part is so happy. And then because it's John Hughes, you never know if it's going to end on a freeze frame of Kevin or uh, a yeah. tag. And in this case, we get Buzz yelling. Kevin, what did you do to my room? I like that that's addressed because that at the end, all these like knots had been tied up and you know, everything was nice and neat. But, like, Buzz's room was never addressed. That was never addressed. Yeah. (laughs) So that's a little point. But as far as the movie, I love it. I love all of it. Like, I love the lines, Quinn. Like, the the good gas mileage or, look what you did, you little jerk. Everything in this movie is, like, yeah, we didn't even mention the whole, like, how the the furnace storyline that it's, like, scary or something. And then, like, Kevin gets over it. He tells it to shut up. Yeah. And then suddenly he's, like, never afraid of it again. Yep. Even that, like, Fuller go easy on the Pepsi is, like, a memorable line, right? Yeah. And then he, like, his eyes or whatever. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> We'd be remiss if we didn't mention Buzz, your girlfriend, Woof. Yeah. Buzz, your girlfriend, Woof. Which, by the way, they put a boy in a wig for that because they didn't want to, like, actually make fun of a girl. Which no, I think that's is... that's a good... Yeah, I didn't ever knew that, but... Yeah, that's Chris Columbus. He didn't want to actually make fun of a girl, so... Yeah. Uh, I guess that helps. Uh, <laughs> even, like, the, the Angels with Filthy Souls movie, like, one... Two, ten. Yeah. And, you know, and keep the change of filthy animal and all right, that stuff. Yeah. There's so many like iconic things. And the fact that this movie was like a Christmas movie lended itself to be rewatched. And so like I think it's almost like the lines were thought through because they knew like the way that this movie would be viewed if, I, if it were to maybe. succeed. John right? Hughes was just he was on a hot streak and right. he was just doing so great with the writing. Quinn, do you know Snakes? Yeah, I don't know no snakes. I don't know no snakes. Snakes? Snakes, snakes. I don't know no snakes. You're right, though. I, I didn't expect it to be this quotable when I first saw it, but it's all these things... Absolutely like, not. They stick out. The um, more... Like, the initial big memorable thing about mm-hmm. this movie that I remember in the media and stuff 
was just they made such a big deal of like how zany and elaborate the traps <laughs> right. were, right? Like yeah. that was the whole trap like scene. Yeah. Was like held up as some great thing. I know. Like in in Hollywood and stuff, right? It was. Well, it's really well done. Right. It's really that was, well done. That was considered the highlight of the movie. The the belt the, the toll, trap, belt yeah. tolls for nine o'clock and all hell breaks. Yeah, the loose, third right? act basically. Yeah, yep. uh, yeah. You know the Kevin the hands on the face motion. Yeah. Oh, that was aftershave too. Yeah. That was improvised. He wasn't supposed to hold his hands there. But it's funny because I, I remember that making its way to like Saturday Night Live yeah. and all sorts of like lampoons of the movie. Right. Can I ask you a question though? Did it ever bother you? This is maybe just a quirky Joe Murata thing. Folks, let us know. Did it ever bother you that on the cover of the movie, like the poster? He's doing it as if he's scared of Harry and Marv, but like in yeah. the in the movie he's doing it because it's aftershave. But I think that's more of a marketing thing. It is, because I know. one of the things I remember again with the marketing was the ah with yeah. the with the with the hands on the face became one of the the funny trailer things they would show. Yes. It's like, oh, it's home alone. Ah like that yeah. was like a thing people like knew about the movie. That happens. <laughs> Right? It is. It's one of the famous things. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's so many great things about this. The the score, like we mentioned, the cinematography, I bl- the rich colors, the set design. I love all of it. Yeah. I want to mention a couple of things here before we talk about the reception of the movie. There's some deleted scenes. You find them on YouTube. Because John Hughes always overshoots. He always has footage. There's more exposition on the wet bandits in the van and a lot of improv scenes with them. Remember the good old days when people used to stay home for Christmas? And now it's off to Hawaii, or Aspen, or Paris. Whatever happened to sitting around the fireplace with your family? Yeah. There's a scene where you actually see Rob McAllister and his family waiting to meet the um, the McAllisters at, oh, at the, the, the airport. French McAllister. Yeah. yeah. There's a, they have, like, dialogue and shit. Yeah, that's weird. It's obviously ex- extraneous, and they cut it. Okay, um, girls, let's try the sign, your Keith. Very good. I'll there take you go. the Let's unfold it. <laughs> okay, hold it up. Watch for them. The random scene with Linny and Peter. What? Like, Linny has, like, more screen time. Linny? Linny. We don't need more laissez competence no, like, the, the most she ever needed to be. <laughs> Where's Mom? Mom? I think she ran off with some Parisian playboy. Dad. No, she just got on a plane to Scranton to go back and get Kevin. Oh. She won't be here for Christmas. Kevin won't be here for Christmas. It won't even be like Christmas. Well, we'll just postpone Christmas a day. I think that's a bad idea. Well, we don't have much choice, sweetheart. So the movie was released, as we talked about, in November of 1990. In case you want to talk numbers on this, Michael. Mm-hmm. $18 million budget. Okay. And it grossed. Over four hundred and seventy-five million dollars. Sounds exactly about right. I'm not. That's not even a surprise because of Did the. Well. Again, here's the thing. Did very well. If you weren't alive, then Home Alone was everywhere. It was one of the biggest movies, and not just like of the year it came out. It was like for years uh, afterwards. Yeah. It, it had legs. Well, here's the thing about it. It was the. Number three highest grossing film ever at the time of mm-hmm. its release once it had all its money behind only two films, Star Wars mm-hmm. from 77 and E.T. Yeah, it makes sense. It's blockbuster. It's one of those things you could only know by like living through it, living yeah. through its popularity. Absolutely. It was 
considered a very big deal, very relevant. Yeah, very relevant. It was the number one film in the box office from November of 90 to February of 91. And Wasn't it was, there re-showings in theaters yeah, and stuff? Yeah, they kept it going because it was still making money. It was in the top 10 all the way until June of 91. It had a very long run. Yeah. Now, critically, we mentioned this. It received mixed reviews. Um, the, the praise was geared towards the elaborate stuff, you know, like you were saying, the, the booby the, traps The whole stuff. booby trap scene, I remember everyone praised that. Yep. And the performances were praised as well, because I think the yeah. acting is pretty good. Yeah, it is. I think it is. And the score, of course, was praised because mm-hmm. it's John Williams. Uh, the criticism focused on, like, the implausibility of the plot, how slapsticky it is, you know, like, shit like that. Uh, for example, and I like these guys a lot, Siskel and Ebert both gave it two thumbs down. But this is why we don't always listen to critics. Writer-producer John Hughes and his director Chris Columbus have made a sort of a pre-teen Ferris Bueller's day off. And the formula is wearing thin on me. I think I would have liked the movie more if it had been much more realistic. What would really happen if a little kid were left home alone? But over time is where it really got the, the reputation as a modern classic. There were sequels. We're going to briefly talk about a the couple of them. The sequels highlight how good the first one is, I, I in my opinion. 100% agree yeah. with you. I think it's very similar to the Turtles trilogy. Yeah. Uh, now, I'll say this. What? Okay, two. Lost in New York, November 92. I don't 92. think two is terrible or I anything. I don't think it's terrible. It's sequelitis. It's kind of like a lot of rehashing just in a different location yeah. with like... Literally, like, the bird lady just replaces old man Marty yeah, and Marley, and, like, there's, like, a lot of this stuff, right? The bird lady is uh, Brenda Fricker, who I know most famously as being the uh, the older mom in So I Married an Axe Murderer. Okay. Remember she's in that? Yeah. She is, uh, but she's been done a ton of stuff. But, yeah, the the deal with Home Alone 2 is um, it takes place the following year, but it was released two years later. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be the next Christmas, and there's a lot of references, like, oh, we, want, we don't want to forget Kevin again, remember? Right. So, it's basically, it's like... dopier. Basically, like... It's dopey. It's done in a way. It's not that the characters haven't learned the lesson. It's oh, they that, have. It's that some other like nightmare scenario happens, even though they took all the precautions. Like that's how it's like how it's portrayed, right? That basically like they did the plane shit and like all that. He's stuff. on the van to the airport, right? Like everything <laughs> seems like it's going fine, right? But they're supposed to go to like Florida or something, right? Yep. And Kevin, like, I don't even remember how. Like well, it's, he's in it's, the airport changing the batteries on his talk boy recorder. Right. And while he's doing that, he looks up and he sees a man with a similar haircut and coat to his dad. So weirdly, it's like now it's like Kevin's fault, sort of like that. He took the wrong turn. Yes. But also they unplugged the clock. Peter unplugged the clock. Oh. And that's why they slept in or something right. caused the power to be out. I, right. I don't watch this one as much. All I know is that they really have to like work hard to figure out how <laughs> how how like Kevin ends up on the wrong plane. Yeah. basically, like it's because the characters are actively fighting for it to not happen. Correct, they're like, all aware, right? It's like they're go- they're going like out of their way, yeah. to take all these precautions, and it still happens. Kate, like Kate has the worst hair. Like everything's just worse. Yeah. Also, can I just mention Harry and Marv return now? So this feels shoehorned as yeah. hell into this movie. They're on a fish truck, remember? Okay, so right. They went to jail or something. They, they did. They, they escaped. They got out, but for some fucking reason, they're in New York instead of Chicago, right? <laughs> and for some fucking reason, they just happen in the city of 8 million people to like fucking see Kevin I on know. the street and be like, we need to get revenge or whatever. Smell that? Yeah. You know what that is? Fish. It's freedom. 
And now they're going by, well, Marv is saying they're the Sticky Bandits. Remember, right, yeah, they've, yeah. they've changed their name because it's so important. You know, their <laughs> name like, is... Here's the weird thing about this movie. It has two villain groups, yeah, right? So, like, so, <laughs> so Harry and Marv, this is what I don't like about Harry and Marv in this. They're shoehorned as the villains like after the fact. Yeah. Like as if we couldn't do this without them, right? right. Like we don't Even need though them. they're not the true, the villains are the hotel staff or Tim whatever. Tim Curry in particular yeah, is like which the Tim, main... Ki- Tim Curry's a great villain. I love Tim Curry. In a kid movie, it's perfect, yeah, right? Yeah, because the voice and the, the yeah. look on his and face. The, the lady, the like, the, 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 the like older woman that's like, like get them out of here. Get them <laughs> and out also of... Rob Schneider's Rob in Rob Schneider's kind of like their goon. Of course, poking his way into something that doesn't belong in. But this is a fine group of villains like they are not a, they are fine right we don't need harry and marv is what you're saying essentially halfway through the movie it's like they event they get him out of the hotel essentially yeah suddenly like now that he's rid of these villains like harry and marv just move in to like replace I them i don't like it yeah here's what i don't like about harry and marv in this movie and i'm a purist usually when it comes to like the original versus the sequel so maybe this mm-hmm. is my bias but Harry is way over the top in his anger, and Marv now is a complete dumbass. Like, he's a bozo. (laughs) He's completely incompetent. His hair is longer and, like, fuzzier. Yeah. So he, like, just looks like a big doofus. Yeah. Like, they're... In the first movie, they're supposed to at least be semi-competent. They're yeah. just getting outsmarted. In this one, they're like cartoons. They're cartoons. So they're cartoon ridiculous, I right? I don't like it. And on top of it, they basically work it in such a way. Essentially, they, they do this whole, like... It just appears. There's like this abandoned apartment it's that Rob's like, apartment. Rob owns. Or, but he's in Paris But still. he's in Paris, yes. right? But, it, but it's a bigger messed up battleground so that it's like essentially it's like we can do the traps but to the more extreme there's like multi-tiered floors and like yeah. all, like all, like it just gets insane. It's so stupid. Yeah, it's it's all a lot of this movie is all a setup just to get into this location and insert Harry and Marv so they can go through the same thing but even more extreme. It's true. And like there's a scene where the toilet ex- well, the whole house explodes because of yeah. like Harry puts his head in the right. toilet. There's Marv gets electrocuted. Let me just say this because maybe one and day even we'll- the bird lady helps at the end, just like the first one. Well, because Harry's gonna shoot him. Remember yeah. his gun is all gooey. But my point is, is it all just leads back to the same ending? <sighs> Kevin isn't able to stop them, but the trump card is I made friends with this weird person or something. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's the with same, this outcast. Yeah, it's essentially oh, the same thing. I like the Philharmonic or whatever. Yeah. Like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> but also, there's like alternate Marley, which is Mister Duncan. Yeah. He's oh like- yeah. <laughs> alternate. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. There's also the like other ally. Oh, you and can then, have two turtle doves yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Like, shut like, up. They say when kids are good, they get two turtle doves. Or like it's ter- it's it's all just it's like too much. It's all just like inserted shit. I swear, if it was up to them, old man Marley would have just been vacationing in New York and that just been there too. Like, Hi, how you doing, Harry? Yeah. You ever go to the plaza? Like, <laughs> like him and the bird lady get married or something. Like, <laughs> and back like, to the Future 3 yeah, or something. Yeah, like Marley's like his doc and the bird lady's like, what's her head from Back to the Future 3? Mary Steenburgen. Mary Steenburgen. I want you to meet my wife. She's Irish. <laughs> anyway. she's a bird lady. Oh, I like the music. Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on. Yeah. But anyway, okay, sorry. I don't want to get too much into detail in case we ever do an episode on this, you know what I mean, in full. But needless to say, it's fine, right? It's like, well, for all the like goofy shit and retreading, it's okay. It's serviceable. Like, it really isn't that bad. Like, as a movie to watch as a kid, I did not mind it. Oh, I, I saw it in the theaters in 92. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Don't get me, me wrong. As an adult, though, this does not hold up to me in terms of heart, in terms of screen. Right. Play. Nobody goes back to it. And it's also a Christmas movie. It is. It's, yeah. 
Siskel and Eber gave it two thumbs down, obviously. Marginal thumbs down for me on Home Alone 2, and I know that every 10-year-old kid in America is going to hate me for it. Well, I won't hate you for it, Gene, because my thumb is not even marginally down, and I'll tell you why. First of all, I didn't even go for the Brenda Fricker scenes because I thought that they went on way too long, were overwritten and treacly and sentimental and shameless in the way that little the little twerp kind of lectures her on the meaning of life and the meaning of truth, and she's so grateful to find out these words of wisdom from his angelic little mouth. But it was more negatively reviewed. Although there's been this weird resurgence in the last couple of years that it's somehow better than the first well, one. there's weird shit like Donald Trump's in the movie. and For like, like a second. Yeah, but everyone refers to it. I know. On the internet. He, he like owned the plaza, didn't he? All I'm saying is that there's it's like... not better than the first one. The one thing I'll give it... In like any criteria that you could pick. Right, but the one thing I give it is that it was successful in its marketing and in its like it it was a big deal when it came out. Yeah. Like it was it was legitimately popular. Oh, one hundred percent it was. I'm not saying it they wasn't made the popular. Talk boy, a real thing. They did. They made like, the talk boy a real thing. There was of like it. all this stuff. Like there was tons of marketing. Ding, ding, dong. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah. They did a great job with it. I, I was all about it when I was a kid. But I think it went beyond the like heartfelt thing that the first one was i think yeah it, it, it leaned too much into the here's the thing at the end of the first movie what came out of it and this is why i brought this up before yeah is that the thing that was the highlight of the first movie in the mainstream was the traps and it's like when they made the second one the traps we have to like the traps have to be more like extreme yeah but these are just crazy like attempted murder all of these right now. like they're all like yeah but that's like that was the point is it, yeah. it's, it's the traps on steroids i don't like it it's like now we have an entire apartment complex to fuck around in that's like dilapidated and like it's even more dangerous I right i just never found it to be as fulfilling i guess yeah. you know what i mean although you know there's some good scenes the the bit where he's walking around the Central Park at night and it's like it ain't much better in here, kid. When he gets <laughs> yeah. in the there's a few funny scenes. Well, Don't because get me that, wrong. that's also if you live around here, you know. Yeah, that. like Central Park is dangerous, especially in the nineties. So, I mean, yeah. it was, had a big, I don't know anymore if it's like that. I don't want to find out. Policed, but uh, <laughs> uh, back then it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad, but it would only be uh, instead of two years, it would be five years until we got another movie. And this is the last one we're going to talk about in detail here. Well, not even in detail, but in December of ninety seven, we were treated to Home Alone three. <laughs> Treated. Um, now, where That's kind <laughs> words. Whereas Chris Columbus did direct the second one, uh-huh. he did not return for this. It was uh, Raja Gosnell. But also, firstly, I just want to say yes. that this movie just comes off like some straight to VHS shit, and it wasn't like even just from its marketing and everything. Like it seems like fake or something. Does that make sense? It does. But you know what surprised me? What John Hughes wrote this. <sighs> this is actually a John Hughes joint. Home Alone 3. Go, Doris, go. <laughs> the Home Alone 3, folks, if you've never seen it, it has an all-new cast and an all-new premise. It's not anything to do with and the And there's your first mistake. Like, yeah, because to me now, it feels like we're just capitalizing on the name. Right? Because I feel like that was the cardinal sin of this movie to most people. I agree with you. Like, was that... I just remember seeing the cover. I'm like... Who is this kid? Who are these burglars? Like, I'm like, who are any of these people? Like, I I don't know them, right? Yeah, and the plot... (laughs) 
Very briefly. I've only seen this once and I hated it. Um, I've seen it once too and I don't remember a damn thing other than it's just a retread with another kid with more zany traps. Yeah. Basically. So basically there's a $10 million missile cloaking microchip that's hidden in a toy car. This is already terrible. (laughs) This is already terrible. By the International Criminals Organization, of course. This toy car gets into Alex's hands due to luggage mix up by an old lady who gave it to him as a present for helping with his snow or something. Her snow, right? So anyway... The criminals find out where it is, and they're trying to get him, but he's got chicken pox, so he's home alone during the day from school. I hate this. It's so bad. It did not receive great reviews. Yeah. Except from Roger Ebert, who gave, Come it, a, on, no. who gave it a thumbs up. This revisionist shit over here. And he said it was better than the first two. The story makes no sense. I feel for every family that's going to be suckered into seeing Home Alone 3. Now, this is going to astound you, but I'm giving the movie thumbs up. It does astound me. Are you okay? Uh, better than you were the day that you liked Starship Troopers. <laughs> okay. Oh, no. Uh, I'll tell a, you why I like the movie. This movie empowers little kids. This is the one where they finally got it right. I liked it better than the other two. Than the makes, original Home it Alone? Makes, it makes little kids love the idea that they can somehow affect the outcome, that they can have uh, uh, power over grown-ups. That's They the can defend one. themselves and be smart and think about things. He hammers and in this in movie, it's one. not as violent as the second one. The kid is charming. Get the hell out of here. Not yeah. one person thought that. Gene Siskel was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, I was you like, <laughs> Roger, yeah. what the fuck? Right? Like, if anything, <laughs> this movie makes you realize how good the first two were. I don't right? think the first one, second one is that good, though. I want to be clear about that. I, I get it, but... decent. Listen, the not second... Not good. The second one could, like, wipes the floor with the third one. I would agree with you. It's, like, embarrassing how dumb the third one is. But even as of press time, literally, there's this big campaign on Twitter or X or whatever about how three really isn't that bad. It's a good movie. And you know what? I think that we You could be wrong if you want. (laughs) I was going to be a little kinder than you. Yeah. I think maybe our generation is tainted because it came out under the Home Alone banner. That that should that's what it was. A lot of it. If this came out as like car thief or whatever, like any other title, smart kid or smart kid, dumb crooks, whatever, right? And it never was ever connected to Home Alone. It may have done better. I agree. Also, this felt like a betrayal as a as a kid. As a kid, I was like, "What the fuck?" That's why it bothered me. Yeah, it felt unnecessary. It fine, John Hughes. You want to make another movie? If you just don't lean into the alone part of it, like mm-hmm. you know, the chicken pox thing, fine. But if you just keep Home Alone out of it, maybe people wouldn't give a hard time. Although, if he didn't name it Home Alone 3, would they have been like, hey, it's just Home Alone. There's bad guy, you know, maybe it's damned to, if you do, damned if you don't. By this point in time, to a lot of people, there was only one Home Alone kid, and that was Macaulay Culkin. And yeah. unless you had Macaulay Culkin, no one gave a shit. That was ultimately what it was. There was a Home Alone 4. Um, I know. I didn't see it, so I, I can't comment this, on it. At this point, I was like, well, if it doesn't have Macaulay Culkin, I don't care. See, it doesn't. I, it has the McAllisters, but they recast everyone. Like, no, that still doesn't work. They have Buzz, but he's There's like... There's a he, reason I said Macaulay Culkin. I didn't say Kevin McAllister. But they have Buzz, but he's like younger again. But the worst part of four, and I only know this from the plot summary, I think I might have seen like three minutes of it on TV, and I was like, fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> like 20 years ago. The worst part of it is that Peter and Kate got divorced. What? And Peter's like no! has a new like wife or something, or a new fiance. And she factors into the thing. And this if you've so- seen it, folks, let us know if Home Alone 4 is any good or any of the ones that came after. 
here's the thing. In my personal opinion. Which you're allowed and, to and, have, Quinn. And I think this was proven much later for another stupid reason that it's the, it was the only choice you had with this franchise after two was that basically you had to wait till Macaulay Culkin grew up and was a parent and you put him as yeah. the parent. That was your only other option with this series. Maybe. And it was proven out where they did a similar-ish thing that I'm talking to. Don't say vacation. No. Thank God. They did a commercial. Oh, in the, the Google. Th- the, the, the Google commercial where Macaulay Culkin's <laughs> an adult and he's yeah. left home alone and it's only a 30-second spot, but everyone went insane just to see him in the house again. Yeah, they did. As an adult and kind of like winking at the camera. Mom? Dad? Hey, Google, what's on my calendar today? You have one event called House to Yourself. Yeah. Hey Google, add aftershave to my shopping list. Hey Google, remind me to clean these sheets later. Okay, I'll remind you. I remember at the time thinking, can they just make a movie associated with this or something? Like yeah, because this this is what we wanted. Like to me, this is know. to me this would wrap Home Alone up in a bow, and it would just be like it's, it's very full fitting because c- it's Christmas. It, it's full circle. It's just like okay. I don't know, Quinn. That's a type of nostalgia that breeds things like Fuller House, though. I'm not saying it has you know to go beyond mean? one movie, but just like I don't even think Kevin's in his mom's shoes, essentially. I don't want that. I don't know. I mean, they did the similar concept, not with the actors, but they did a similar concept with Vacation, where yeah. Rusty is now grown up. And I mean, Chevy Chase was in it briefly. Yeah, yeah. You know, I get, you know how I, get I feel it. about reboots. I hate them. It's not the, about the reboot. It's just it would there would be a somewhat you could make a lot of little jokes about Kevin being in the reverse situation where he's the parent and he's lost the kid. Yeah, but right? nowadays you have cell... It's a lot easier to fractify these situations. It, and, that, and that's one of the things about Home Alone, right? Is like the plot itself doesn't hold up because uh, of technology. That's true. But the characters hold up. Right. You know, they, they're mm-hmm. really well-written, funny, zany, stupid characters. I'm talking about the first one. I think that the first movie, in terms of filmmaking, I mean, they're... You can poke so many holes in so many different things, but in terms of the gestalt, you know, I love that word. Yeah. It's just a classic to me. It is a classic. I love it. It's so fun and feel good. It's kind of a shame, too, that the the concept is actually dated, like you said, where it's like this would never even, it can't actually happen. The phones can't go out, you know? Yeah, the same situation could not develop. Yeah, things would just be taken care of so much differently. you'd, You'd have to really, it was already they were like thinking of ways how this worked the first time. Yeah. Imagine trying to like map out how you would get a kid home alone. It'd just be yeah, like so much how harder. Would it even work? It'd be so much yeah. harder. As far as the movie, though, we know it means a lot to so many people who grew up watching it. Certainly to me, it's timeless to me, despite the plot. The rest of it is just a timeless look. I love the way it looks, feels, sounds, mm-hmm. everything. For me, Quinn, like in a lot of ways, I don't know how to describe this, but like it represents Christmas. Yeah. It acts as a surrogate for the Christmas I never had. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. I you know to what me, I mean? What it represents the look and feel of it, it literally takes me back yeah. to like that time in America. Like you said, the way it looks, the way like the town is and the way, like even if it's upscale, it's still like, it's still how like America was. <laughs> like, well, I mean, yeah. And, and to a certain parts extent, of it, Quinn, yes. at least parts, the suburbs. Parts of it, Even if yes. you didn't live in the biggest house on the hill like Kevin did. I mean, right. like get some milk on the y- hill in the woods. You know, you go, the, the, little, the little town he goes into to, to get the toothbrush. But like, 
everything about it, like the you know the pizza delivery boy and the the hitting the statue and the, the, the <laughs> pizza delivery boy is very iconic for yeah. some reason, isn't yeah. he? He is. Like, doesn't he just look like a pizza delivery boy to the you? Look on his face, like of like just contempt yeah. for his job. Come on, sir. Yeah, <laughs> he's good. Yeah, I love that kid. The tip, like upset about the tip and all that cheap skate. Yeah, it's just like the. <laughs> but sorry, I interrupted but you. Yes, all, go ahead. like all of it. The concept of like the phone is down and like, yeah. <laughs> like like all this little shit, it all just adds up to this like this nice little snapshot of mm-hmm. the early nineties. Right? It's it's yeah. perfect. I think it's up there with turtles for me in movies I grew up with that capture a certain time and place with the yeah. first turtles movie. That bridge into the nineties. Yeah. The way air travel is in the movie, too. Yeah, those little things. Yeah. How it's like, it's it's pre 9 11, so it's like so like lackadaisical. Like, oh, you just need a boring pass. That's That's it. That's it. Just let you right in. They don't care. But it's a funny movie. It's a warm movie. It's it's clever. It's touching. It's a classic. And Quinn, I would say it is certainly an acid wash memory. Definitely. Uh, Folks, we hope you enjoyed this little run through of Home Alone and it's sequels uh, mm-hmm. let us know your thoughts on home alone and its sequels especially if you've seen any of the newer ones yeah uh, after home alone three of you i haven't no and i probably will, never will don't put here i got i got a tip for movie makers out there do not put home alone on anything unless it has macaulay culkin in it yeah it's gonna be tough tough and you sell. can't even do it just with joe pesci if they wanted no, to try that no, either no. that's or not Daniel gonna stern yeah it won't work it ain't gonna fly uh, another tip is don't eat the yellow snow yeah but we do appreciate you guys being with us here for this holiday edition of acid wash memories don't worry we're coming back next week next year even for something completely different until that time have a happy and safe holiday season whatever it is you're doing with it Mm -hmm. we really and truly do appreciate you being with us here follow us on the things leave us a review and enjoy yourself quinn you got anything else that's it all that's left to say is keep the change you filthy animals we will see you next christmas (laughs) merry christmas we'll see you next week for more acid wash memories Like what you heard? Be sure to leave a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We will see you next week. Make us annoyed, give all the time.